Hey folks, whether you're a regular listener or it's your first episode, thank you for tuning in. As always, make sure you are subscribed so that you never miss an episode. Digging for Kryptonite is available on all major podcast platforms. If you enjoy the show, please take a moment to leave a rating and review. It really does help others find the show and become part of our community. I appreciate it. And now, before we dive into this week's installment, which I hope you enjoy, here's a word about our sponsors. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. It helps support the show too. Thank you. I travel to comic book stores across America to make the documentary film My Comic Shop Country. Unfortunately, my travels didn't take me to Texas, but when I do eventually find myself in the Lone Star State, my first comic shop stop will be the Hive Comics and Tabletop Games. As they say, we exist to make your entry into nerdy realms easy. An oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas, Hive carries a full selection of comics, manga, and gaming, including Magic, D&D, Yu-Gi-Oh!, and Pokemon. Visit them in person or via their online shop at thehivecomics.com. A tattered red cape blowing in the wind, a black and white costume and sense of justice, a red-blue blur, a black-suited first flight for the second time. This is some of the iconography of my Superman fandom. Together, on this podcast, we take a long view across time and media as we re-examine and discover the stories that have defined the Man of Steel and the larger DC universe. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me for Superman, the animated series mixtape, volume five, the finale. Returning guest, Jeremy Frutkin. Welcome back. Anthony, the only thing hotter than the fires of apocalypse is my excitement for the final mixtape of Superman, the animated series. I thought you were heading towards a joke about your uh, audio setup on your stove in the kitchen. Uh, you sent me a photo of that, I, and I got a real kick out of it. I'm going to remind me when we're off the air. I'm going to have to post that because I think uh, all of our listeners and fans and stuff like that are going to get a real kick out of it. Yeah. Talk about doing what you love and by any means necessary. I'm coming to you live from the kitchen in my rental uh, right now because this is the most acoustic friendly room in this house. Uh, and yeah, I have an entire setup on my stove. Uh, my buddy, Kevin, who also listens to the show just said, I sent him a picture of that as well. And he said, you should be sponsored by hot pockets for this episode. Cause I have the microwave right above me. And I actually thought that was pretty funny. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I know I said this on a prior episode, but I'll just reiterate it here for our finale that, uh, I so appreciate that we have done these episodes. You know, like I said, you, you moved across states again in the middle of a pandemic in the middle of doing these episodes and you didn't you didn't miss an appointment uh, i gave you outs but you didn't take them and this has been so fun honestly this is a very bittersweet feeling not unlike the series finale of superman the animated series which we'll get to but a very yeah. bittersweet feeling because i know we're going to have a lot of fun discussing the new gods arc on superman the animated series which you know, for my money, is the most dramatic, action-packed, compelling, emotional run of episodes from the show. So I'm excited to have that discussion. But at the same time, I'm very sad that this is our last episode discussing Superman the Animated Series. I don't know how the audience feels because they've, at this point, they've now listened to eight hours of us talking about this. So I don't know if they're like, all right, guys, like, wrap it up. But for me, I feel like it flew by. I'm going to miss you too, Anthony. <laughs> and I'm going to miss talking about a show that has earned 
maybe even re-earned an even higher spot in my in my heart. How many shows can you look at and be like, well, is it as good as I remember it through the nostalgia tent? And you and listeners of this program have heard me say before, so much of what we do is rooted in nostalgia, right? And sometimes that can be a great thing. And sometimes it can be a, a scary thing to look back on something and be like, is this as good as I remember? Or is it just my childhood memories and that wonderful, less stressful, more kind of carefree time of my life that I'm remembering? This is, I can't think of another example, at least in anything that we've done together, where this has exceeded that completely, completely. It's Superman, the animated series is better than you remember. It is. I think I said this in, in at least one of the episodes, uh, but even if I did, it's worth repeating. Coming into this, sort of my memory of the show was the New Gods episodes were amazing. The Bizarro and Mixius Pitalik episodes were fun. And the rest were solid, but maybe a little bit on the dull side. If I was really being honest as far as what my assessment of the entire series was. After this... Literally every episode re we rewatched, I enjoyed more than the first time. And I was a little nervous coming into these New Gods episodes because I did hold these up very high before. And again, same thing here. It's like I got even, if it, it didn't seem possible, that I, but I got even more out of them now. And all those other episodes, yeah, the mixy stuff was still really fun and so was the Bizarro. But with those Bizarro episodes, there was this uh, this pathos and, and, and element of heartbreak that I didn't really yes. fully appreciate before. And then all those other episodes that I just kind of thought were solid, I, I just really came to appreciate the, the character work and the representations of the characters that we were getting. So yeah, I mean, virtually everything we watched it's like I, I come away with it, appreciating it way, appreciating it way more than I did before. I mean, I made this uh, little quip last time, but I'll say it again. They got us to spend a solid, I think, fifteen or twenty minutes talking about Toy Man, and uh, that, that alone, you know, something that doesn't, you know, maybe warrant that kind of discussion normally. Uh, it's just they present these characters in such an engrossing and accessible fashion that it just makes them so much fun to reward about. And again, I think the one of the real crux and and summations of these episodes and this entire series is that the creators of this show knew that they were going to be putting something out quote unquote for children on a saturday morning but challenged them to rise to a level of maturity instead of just keeping it down at a surface level and i cannot commend them enough because as we've also discussed they made something timeless and i think that's a key reason why Totally. And we have a couple of examples of ways in which they called upon the young audience to, to rise up and meet them in these episodes we're going to discuss. Before we do, you know, we've expressed our gratitude to the audience, you know, every episode, but I, I want to do that again now and right at the top. And, uh, you know, both of us, you know, we've gotten a ton of, of lovely feedback from people and it means the world to me that people have enjoyed these episodes. And it's also been really, really cool to get you know, different, different perspectives on these things. Um, I, I want to share just a few things. So let's see here. I made, I made just a quick list. Now this is not exhaustive. So I'm not saying this is every single person who reached out. So if I didn't get to someone's comment, you know, please uh, forgive me, but there were a few things that, that were, that were really tied to the discussions we had that I thought were interesting and, and would warrant, you know, a brief uh, follow-up. I share that Livewire was not my favorite Superman villain. And in fact, we skipped her episodes uh, when we did our villains mixtape. But uh, listeners Julia and Douglas both expressed a fondness for 
uh, for the Livewire character. Douglas. Oh, there you go. Douglas, uh, Jeremy, you'll appreciate this, is a big horror fan. So he actually loved the Dr. Fate episode. Yes, my man. That's what I like to hear. Speaking of those uh, DC team-up episodes, uh, frequent guest of the show and my good buddy, V. Ken Marion, uh, he commented on Instagram that he loves the Flash and Green Lantern episodes that you and I were pretty cold on. Interesting. Interesting. And I'd be so curious to talk to him further, especially with his uh, extensive background with Green Lantern, especially. I'd be very interested to kind of hear his perspective on that. But that's why I love what we do here. I love uh, hearing these different perspectives and and uh, kind of what we do with each other, you know, kind of making us view things a little differently and reconsider. So that's awesome. I'd love to hear more. That's the thing. And not to sound like a broken record, because I know I, I issued this disclaimer a lot. But, you know, when I when there's something I don't like, when I express a negative opinion, you know, it's just the way that I feel. And I you know explain it as best as possible. But, you know, I never trying to take away from anyone else's enjoyment. So I, it would it would make me feel so sad if someone listened to me talk about Livewire and then they were like, oh, yeah, Livewire is terrible. It's like I much rather hear this because at least I know it's like, OK, it wasn't necessarily for me, but there are other people who really got something out of this. And there's plenty of stuff that I'm sure I like that other people are like, eh, that, you know, didn't really do it for me. So, it, you know, it's all good. Continuing on, though, about the, the DC team ups, Tyler, host of the Krypton Report podcast and a prior guest on the show, um, he, we didn't get to fully unpack this, but maybe we will uh, at some point in the future. But he said his headcanon regarding that Flash episode, he knows this was not the actual case, right? Because the producers have said, you know, and ultimately, right, when we get to Justice League, we know that the Flash is Wally. But he said in his headcanon, it was Barry. And he also said his headcanon, there's this whole vast Green Lantern mythology that happened that we didn't get to see. So, and, Interesting. I, and I know Ty, like he's, he's, you know, a big proponent of a sort of, maybe filling in some missing pieces or finessing some incongruous pieces, you know, using that headcanon, which I'm sort of split on. I feel like that, look, if it works, it works. But part of me sometimes feels like we, sh as the fans, I don't know, like we shouldn't have to do that or there should be enough there, you know, for us to really, you know, sink our teeth into. But I, I definitely appreciate it. And if you got more enjoyment out of it. That's, <laughs> that's going to be a really good segue once we're done here with a question that I owe you and our audience an answer to yes. that I posed in the last episode. So keep that in mind. I didn't forget, but that's exactly kind of what I'm going to do at least a little bit myself. So I'm glad you brought that up. Right on. Uh, and, oh, and jumping back to Ken Marion. So Ken's on the next episode. I already recorded that. It's a, it's a dive into season one of Superman and Lois. So I already recorded that, but Ken is coming back appropriately enough in a few episodes. And we are going to discuss the much maligned Green Lantern movie from 2011. I had such a good time seeing that movie in theaters. I really did. All right. I think you'll enjoy this episode. I don't know. I, uh, Ken and I haven't talked a ton about the movie off mic yet, so I don't, I don't know where both, and we, neither of us have done our rewatch yet, so I don't know where we're going to land on it, but that'll be That's a perfect exciting. opportunity to get his take on those Flash and Green Lantern episodes. So we'll do that. Awesome. I and, can't wait to hear. And then jumping back to uh, Julia for a second, Julia had uh, a good point about the lead suit because, you know, I was not, you know, I was not the biggest fan of the lead suit to protect him from yeah. kryptonite. Uh, but Julia's point was that it, uh, you know, handicaps Superman to an extent. It forces him to hold back, right? Because he can't use his heat vision. Maybe his super hearing is a little restricted. He maybe has to pull uh, his punches, which, you know what? I was like, all right. I didn't think about that. 
neither did I. And I was like, you know what? All right, that actually makes like I can get I can get more on board with the lead suit now. I think that was a really good a good take Julia, on it. You're very very smart and very very strong insight. Yeah, because he couldn't use a, a bevy of his powers, right? While in that, so I guess that kind of you know we talked about how. Um, some people might kind of gripe or nitpick or complain that, oh, like, you know, Superman's too powerful. He's too powerful. This is another great example of a way, I guess. And despite, though, I think it might look silly, the suit, it does logically handicap him, right? Because it is obeying the rules that are established in the universe. So that would make sense. Yeah. So I dug that, that take on it a lot. And, uh, and then, you know, we just got a lot of, you know, messages on social media and such uh, of people enjoying the episodes and that we, we, Jeremy and I both, you know, really appreciate that. And literally right before we started recording, I got a very lovely text from uh, former and future guest, Scott Honig, who said, please send Jeremy my best. He's an amazing guest and I love listening to him. And he said, feel free to do this on the air. Perhaps your listeners would like to hear one recurring guest's appreciation and admiration for another. So thank you to Scott. Scott, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And the same can be said for you. And uh, I'm very happy we're both part of this community. Thanks so much, Scott. So before we dive into the New Gods saga, our big finale here, our finale mixtape, I mean, we're, we're showing our gratitude to the audience. And I don't know that I could think of a better way to do that than by, should we announce our follow-up project? What do you think? Let's do it. Why leave people waiting? Why leave them waiting? We're to, you know, this is going to be the finale. There's no time for cliffhangers, Anthony. Let's do it. Yes. And again, I know I keep saying finale, just so everyone's clear. It's just the finale of this five episode arc. This the podcast series is yes. continuing. <laughs> on and on and on. Just, just for this run of the mixtapes of animated series. That's yes, to be clear. Yeah, because I have a very long Excel list with a lot of episodes. So we, there's a lot to come. I don't think this will shock anyone based on the discussions we've had and the hints we've dropped, but coming next year, and I know you're probably thinking it's only February, what are you planning next year for? But uh, coming next year from Jeremy and myself, the Justice League animated mixtapes. Justice for all, we're moving up in the world. You know, we get by with a little help from our friends, Anthony, and uh, I'm so excited to continue this journey with you and to continue the journey that we studied and analyzed and had so much fun talking about in Superman, the animated series and seeing what comes next for this world. Yes. Now my current plan and always subject to change. My current plan right now is for that, that event uh, to not be a series of mixtapes on all of justice league and justice league unlimited, but rather to really focus on the Superman centric episodes uh, again, as a true sequel to these episodes that we've been doing, and also because there were a lot of threads with Brainiac, Lex, and and Darkseid in particular. Project, Project Cadmus, which this all directly, we'll get there, I'm sure, but this all directly leads into. Yeah, yes, sir. Totally. So there was a ton of unfinished business from this show that got picked up on those other two. So uh, the Justice and League animated mistakes. And for the man who has everything is one of my favorite episodes of animation anywhere ever. So I'm super excited about that as well. Yeah, that will be a lot of fun. So that that may very well end up being our kickoff event for next year. You know, we'll see as we get there. But uh, just to give people a heads up, that's where we're going. So uh, again, if you've been enjoying these episodes, there is more to come. Thank you, everybody. Again, all of you have been so incredible. I've enjoyed uh, the interactions we've had on Twitter, on social media. And let's keep it going. You know, this is uh, such a wonderful 
topic to talk about and I always see things through new eyes and that's kind of what's fun about what we do here. We uh, we look at things that maybe we've seen before, maybe we grew up with and we give them new life and help them live on with our discussions. So cheers to all of you and everybody out there in the Digging for Kryptonite community. Same here and not, I'll say this quickly, not to, not to put too fine a point on it, but you know, I do, th- this thought does cross my mind in advance of these episodes where I don't know how many more times I'm going to have or create the opportunity for myself to talk about Superman, the animated series for 10 hours. You know, it's like, you know, I was a guest on Superman, the animated series podcast, and that was, that was awesome. And, you know, if we ended up doing something again down the line, you know, that would be another opportunity, but like generally speaking, you know, and especially in terms of how we've structured these conversations here, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like, well, this, and I'm recording this and I'm putting it out there. And like, this is my statement on this animated series. And so there is that little sense of like, okay, I always can say more if I want to later, but like, this is, this is kind of it. So it, that's never lost on me. Yeah. It, it's a wonderful thing. And when you put it like that, you know, 10, 10 hours is no small, no small amount of hours to put, uh, on study on anything, but, uh, they have flown by rather quickly, especially when we've been having fun and, and sitting here and, uh, and studying this wonderful show. Yeah, for sure, man. I can't thank you enough. All right. So these are the episodes that we are covering today. A slightly, yeah. Before we jump in. Oh yes, please. If I may, I promised our audience an answer to your awesome question from last week. Go for it. And I always try to keep to, I, you know, I keep my appointments and I keep my word. I try at least my very best. So you asked me an awesome question. This is a question I actually I would love to pose to the community as well, talking about feedback and all the wonderful conversations we've had. I'd love to hear their answer to this as well. So feel free, everybody out there on you know, all the social media platforms. I'd love to hear your take on this. But you asked me, what villains would I like to see get a shot in this show? If I could kind of do some revisionist history here that haven't got a chance to have a spotlight. And I thought about it. And you and I both really enjoyed Steel quite a bit in these shows. We love those two episodes. And obviously there is nothing as formative for you as the death of Superman. Certainly that's been well established here. So we got steel. We didn't get the death of Superman. So you'll forgive me when I say that instead of creating the death of Superman in this series already, I think since this continuity in this universe proved that we can have steel without the death of Superman, I would also like to see the Eradicator, Cyborg Superman, and Superboy all make an appearance so every single one of the four Supermen that came after the death of Superman got at least an episode or a spotlight and using, and again, this is that fantasy booking kind of filling in, you know, the gaps here, but kind of maybe each of them have an episode and then have a convergence episode, a war of the Superman or something like that, where you see all these characters come together. I think that would be awesome. Hey man, I won't argue with any of that. I love those characters. It would be cool to see them. Yes, it would take, I think, a little bit of work to to finesse them into the show in a way that would still be satisfying to the fans of the original story while not doing that full on story. But look, steel showed us there's, there's a way there's a path. That's what exactly what my thought is. And Hey, we get more steel out of it too. Yeah. So that's win win. Yeah. I love it. No, I'm on board. I would, I would never, <laughs> I would never argue against. <laughs> I had a feeling like that was an easy sales pitch for you. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious to hear the responses from some of our listeners as well. Yeah, for sure. Please uh, do let us know. 
Okay, so for this final mixtape, a slightly smaller viewing assignment than our last couple. Our last couple episodes, we were in the, the dozen dozen episode range. Uh, here, eight episodes that we we, we rewatched uh, to discuss. So first up, <clears throat> Tools of the Trade. Uh, Canto arrives in Metropolis and provides Bruno Mannheim and Intergang with all this advanced weaponry. And at the end of the episode, we find out that the mysterious benefactor he's working on behalf of is none other than Darkseid, Lord of Apocalypse. Father's Day, where Darkseid's son, Calabac, takes it upon himself to come to Earth and try to take out Superman, while Superman is in the midst of hosting Jonathan and Martha Kent for a visit in the city. The two-part, and then the rest of these are all two-part episodes, Apocalypse Now, which for me, the high point of the series in terms of action, drama, emotion, that's my number one. Uh, Darkseid finally makes his move against Earth. Uh, Superman and the people of Metropolis and the uh, their allies from New Genesis are able to beat Darkseid back and force him to retreat, but in a fatal parting shot, he kills SCU Inspector Dan Turpin. It's I'm about to pour it out for the homie, everybody. Pour, pour it out, out for, for the homie. And whew, what a gut punch. And we'll, we'll get there. I'm not going to stay there too long, but oh my goodness, what a gut punch. Yeah, we have my a lot to say. Up. We have a lot to say about mm -hmm. that. There's a lot to unpack there, but that was a defining moment of this entire animated series. And going back to what we were saying a minute ago, I was surprised at how affecting I found it now. Being an adult, having watched it many times, knowing it was coming, it still, it got me in a, in a real big way. So that's Apocalypse Now. Little Girl Lost, which introduces the show's version of Supergirl, as well as Granny Goodness and the Female Furies. If there's any weak spot in this run, I don't know how you felt, but this was it for me, big time. I'm a big Ed Asner fan, and I love Ed Asner as Granny Goodness. Um, that being said, I, I stole your catchphrase again. <laughs> We've been hanging out too much, Anthony, I'm telling you. These 10 hours, we've been hanging out too much. Um, yes, I don't think it's bad. I don't like kind of like what we said about some of the other episodes with the villains um, on our previous mixtape, right? I don't think this was bad, but it just ended up being okay and didn't hit kind of those high points that we really see in a bunch of these New Gods episodes. Yeah, and there are a couple of things in particular that I can really pinpoint that I think, you know, kept Little Girl Lost from rising to the level of these other episodes we're talking about. And we'll, we'll get into that. And then finally, Legacy, the two-part series finale where Darkseid brainwashes Superman into thinking he's Darkseid's son and sends him to attack Earth. And it's a it's a surprisingly bittersweet ending for the entire series. And, and I love it for that. I, I do too. And, uh, you know, I said before, the final... You know, the final batch of episodes of the show, I don't think I watched as they originally aired. I think I only watched them once on DVD, and those are the episodes I have the least memory of, and Legacy falls in that category. So, you know, Apocalypse Now, like, I knew most of the big beats that we were going to hit, but for Legacy, I was watching it with largely fresh eyes. You know, I think I had only seen it once years ago, so it was really, really interesting. Did you ever read, did you ever read um, Superman the Dark Side comic? Oh, you mean this? Yeah, Elseworlds Tale. Who am I talking to, folks? <laughs> Who am I talking to here? This is why he's master and commander of Digging for Kryptonite. Yep, absolutely. I thought that was kind of cool as well, too. And uh, you know, a little sidebar, and we'll talk about it you know, more at length. But uh, even the costume, pretty comic accurate, which is something we don't really see. You know, the, the animated series in this whole, uh, the Timverse, if you will, does a, a bunch of different kind of variations. But this, we got 
uh, a pretty close to comic accurate uh, representation, which I thought was interesting and kind of cool as well. Do you still own the dark side in some format? I don't think I do. I don't think I do own it. And uh, I, I mean, unless you count owning, having it be uh, on DC, the uh, the app, the DC Infinite app, oh, well, which I guess isn't strictly owning. But <laughs> funny you say that it's not on the app. Is it really not on there? No, unless they added Why, it very recently. So just as a quick sign up, but it, I mean, it is germane to our conversation. So uh, Superman, the dark side, right, was this three issue prestige format Elseworlds miniseries in the late 90s, very shortly before Legacy. So clearly, I mean, you saw uh, the producers of Superman, the animated series, taking a number of cues from it. Uh, but basically, it imagines what Superman would be like if he had landed on Apocalypse instead of Earth, and if he had been raised by Darkseid instead of the Kents. And uh, again, you see a lot of those elements translated, carried over into the, the Legacy two-parter. Uh, I bought and read The Dark Side when it came out. I remember as a kid having it, and at some point along the way, I parted with it in one of my collection purges. And mm -hmm. then once I got this podcast up and running, I was like, oh, I would, I would actually want to go back and read it. And the trade is out of print. It's not on the DC app. It's not on Comixology. Uh, but why, though? Why? Yeah, listen, if I had the answer to that, <laughs> there's a right. lot. I mean, it's rhetorical, <laughs> right, at this point, yeah. It's, it just doesn't make any sense to me, especially when anything has been brought to um to to the light and to the public like this has a pretty strong representation in terms of you know a very almost not strict strict but a very strongly influenced adaptation of it you think that would be like oh we should get some reprints going maybe reprint it with like the the recent anniversary that the animated series had but yeah that's crazy to me man yeah that's wild to my knowledge and if anyone knows anything otherwise feel free to let me know it's you know a real quick tangent someone reached out uh, via youtube just today as of this recording and uh, a new listener new viewer and with very kind words about the show and, and he was like oh you know uh, it, it would be cool if you did a, like a real deep dive into the um, the Carrie Bates, uh, Elliot Magan run uh, era from the Bronze Age. And I said, I was like, I would love to. And, you know, we touched on it when we did our Bronze Age episode, but I was like, there's so, like so little Bronze Age Superman is available yeah. in collections or on the app. It's like, I would, I would love it. So I was like, I, I don't know if you're a collector out there and like you have all this stuff and you're willing to <laughs> like lend it to me. It's like, it's very frustrating. There's so much stuff you know, that I, I would love to get my hands on, but anyway. Well, hopefully uh, preservation is one thing, but accessibility is uh, a whole other, right? And all this should be, you know, with all of our modern technology and everything that we have at our disposal, I would love to see as much as possible of really any comic book or any art form in general. Just make it accessible to as many people as you can. Yeah. That's it. Full stop. No, for sure. So, but I ended up buying the three issues of The Dark Side on eBay. I was able to get them at a very affordable price. So I have them. I've not reread them. That might be a future episode down the line. But, you know, I've, I've gone on record and I still stand by this, that I'm not the biggest fan of Elseworlds stories that reimagine like what Superman would be like if he landed somewhere else. Because that's what so many of them are, right? They're like, what if he landed in Russia? What if he landed in Apocalypse? It is that same kind of setup for a lot of these stories, I feel like. Exactly. And, and I've said this before. It's like, I get why people like them. And I don't hate them. It's just like, we know that They're fine. we know that so much of what Superman is about is the way he was raised. So it's just sort of like, well, of course, if he's raised by someone else, he's going to turn out differently. So I don't, I usually don't find them like that fascinating. 
But what I love about legacy here is legacy is not, you know, reimagining the entire mythology. It's, you know, Superman being tricked, brainwashed, right? So yes. it's this idea, what if Superman thought <laughs> he were raised by Darkseid? What does that turn him into? And then when he comes back to his senses, how does he reckon with what he's done? That, to me, is like the perfect balance of the what if while still keeping it tethered to the actual character. So I really, like, I was totally on board with Legacy. I, I think it's a better setup than the comic. I, I really do. I think that's a better setup because you do, you get, you also get stakes. You get more stakes with that as well too, right? It's like Superman, how could you be doing this? Not, this is who he's always been. Right. So there's more stakes and more urgency and more consequence with this story and lasting consequence. And maybe we'll, uh, we'll circle back next year in justice league because that goes far. I mean, the masters of long, long form storytelling here. And if I may actually, cause I just segued myself, <laughs> I know, uh, you know, everybody's patiently waiting for, for my big um, sweeping statement for these episodes. And that's exactly what it is in a nutshell. I pretty much said it already is we've talked about so much how they're the masters of long form storytelling here. Right. And my statement for this episode is this New Gods mixtape is not the best of the Superman animated series because it has the New Gods. It's the best because it is the perfect example of long form storytelling that is effective, not just in animation or just for animation, but in any form of storytelling. Well said. Well said, my friend. And, you know... We've talked about how in these other mixtapes, looking at all of the episodes dealing with Krypton or the Metropolis cast or the villains or the DC team ups, you know, watching them mixtape style, you know, we're seeing certain threads that were there that you might not totally see if you were watching them, you know, uh, spread out. But this arc in particular, they're they're really there and they're there by design and it is a very well crafted arc that escalates that's the thing i think more than anything that really stood out to me watching them all together it builds it's masterful the way they're constructed and how you go you know piece by piece like again tools of the trade largely an intergang story and you know what i kept thinking while i was watching that was like you know we have the benefit of hindsight. We know where the story is going. We know that dark side is the one behind this, but you know, if you were really watching this cold and we've talked about this with other episodes, you know, it's a really cool mystery. And you're like, well, where exactly is this going? You know, who is this mysterious benefactor? And I guess that was the, probably the way I watched it as a kid, not knowing where it was going. And then you get to the end where, you know, Bruno Mannheim jumps through the, the boom tube and he ends up on apocalypse and he meets dark side. And it's like, like we've opened up this whole other world and whole other mythology and it just keeps growing and building with a little detour for the little girl lost to an extent. <laughs> but, uh, we get back on track. We do. Uh, so yeah, that was masterful. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that and you brought up Mannheim because if I had to sales pitch this, like kind of another soundbite, we go from an intergang street level thug story to a battle of planets and quite literally and you know no pun intended but an apocalypse situation we go from the pettiest of criminal to a world potentially world ending crisis throughout the series of this show and that's the same story and that's the same thread that's where they begin and their end and that is wild to me and it's also kind of interesting what a crucial point Mannheim actually is 
in this entire series when you think that never dawned on me until we watched it you know mixtape style which i think is also probably going to be fun for everybody else to watch along like you touched on perfectly we really do get to see these stories arcs kind of uh you know connect 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 and it really it never dawned on me what a crucial part to the whole series manheim of all people you know this this essentially street thug ends up being to the entire series and how his actions and consequences affect universe level consequences it's amazing really and what's what's really funny about it is that you know we meet manheim in the fun and games episode that introduces toy man in that episode and and i just rewatched it i don't think i'm forgetting we, they don't mention intergang like we know he's this crime boss but we don't get into the intergang aspect until tools of the trade but yeah he's a great sort of entry point into this larger world and uh you know, even though he's a villain, he he did serve a very crucial purpose. So maybe, you know, pour one out for him too, because he does not make it out of that nuclear meltdown. <laughs> no. And you know what? Honestly, I would never wish death on anybody. I wouldn't. But, you know, he probably deserved it, if I'm being perfectly honest. Manheim, not the greatest of people. Not the greatest. And he, you know, made this deal with the devil, so to speak. And, you know, he, mm -hmm. you know, he had to pay the price. But, uh, you know, one thing that I wanted to ask you before we you know, even, even, you know, get deeper into these episodes is your relationship, if any, you know, prior to this with the new gods mythology, like when do you, was it the animated series that was your first introduction to them or had you, yeah. That's exactly right. My first introduction. And I'll be completely honest with you. And I think I've said this to you uh, off air as well, that my relationship in terms of the new gods from the source material is pretty much every time dark side or they showed up for a crisis or for a big crossover event. That's pretty much it. I never went back and I never read those original stories. I'm definitely interested now as this show keeps uh, doing to me to going back and reading them. And I have a hot take as well here too. And I think the show kind of illustrates that. I think the new God's strength is so much more effective than dark side strength because I don't think dark side is a particularly interesting villain. However, when you have him a part of this whole existing world with the supporting cast for me at least it does so much heavy lifting instead of being like dark sides coming to be like oh no like the whole new gods are showing up like or at least the apocalypse sides well and you know orion as well uh from time to time which is nice but they're all coming now you're like it's not just oh the big bads coming here to take over earth it's these worlds are coming together in a violent and interesting way. And to me, that does so much more heavy lifting than kind of the, you know, tropey, like here he comes, he's unbeatable to take over the world. It's like, oh no, like these characters that we've been seeing, you know, sporadically or even just in their far off world are now merging into this world. And that to me helps with so much of the heavy lifting in the storytelling here. We'll be back in action in just a moment following these words about our sponsors. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In The Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, ticketing information, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts 
available via a shared universe network. I speak a lot on the show about how becoming a dad enhanced my appreciation of the Superman mythology. If you're a fellow father out there, or if you're just interested in hearing a fun conversation, check out Shadadigans, a weekly podcast by dads sharing their dad experiences. Listen, relate, and laugh. One of the hosts is a multiple guest of this show, Justin DeVoe. In recent years, Justin has embarked on a truly remarkable fitness and cosplay journey, which you can see for yourself on Instagram at Lobo. And if you're looking for guidance in starting or continuing your own fitness journey, check out Iron and Honor on Instagram. And now we return to digging for kryptonite. Yeah, no, totally. I, I agree with that, that the the larger mythology is far more effective than just Darkseid in a vacuum. I mean, he's a great villain, but, and I think the show really does a great job of making the most of the new gods mythology. Again, even in in terms of, like I said, the way they escalate this threat and how he goes from fighting Kalibak to Steppenwolf to Darkseid himself, right? So, you know, so it allows for that. We, we also get this political intrigue and maneuvering, right? A lot of a lot of these episodes hinge on this this tenuous peace between High Father on New Genesis and Dark Side on Apocalypse. And it was actually kind of surprising I had forgotten this, but the this pact between the two planets does keep Dark Side at bay in a, yep. in, a in I mean, obviously he he maneuvers to get around it, but you know, the whole plot of uh, little girl lost, right, is that he sent Granny Goodness to build this magnet on Earth that is going to pull this asteroid onto a collision course with Earth, right? And he feels like, well, that's... I've heard, I've heard that plot somewhere before, <laughs> but I think it was the other guys, Anthony. <laughs> Call me crazy. Uh, but, you know, so it's like, well, I'm not invading Earth, right? <laughs> I'm bringing about its destruction, but in a roundabout way. And then, Semantics, yeah. And then similarly in uh, in Legacy, he's like, well, it's, you know, Superman's attacking the Earth. And then if the Earth is in shambles after this and I show up and I bring order, well, that couldn't be in violation of the treaty. So, it, you know, it a little silly, but like it adds this this other component to it. And and it, and it, you know it allows for a variety, right? Because again, in that little girl lost arc, that's a re- that's really a Granny Goodness female Furies story, more so yeah. than it is Darkseid yeah. per se. So it it opens up these these different uh, you know opportunities for conflict. So yeah, I, it's a very and you know obviously kudos to to the late great Jack Kirby, King Kirby, for creating this yes. world. Yes, yes, yes. And I'll admit, I've not read. I, I think I read his first issue of Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, when he took over that book in the 70s when he came over from Marvel and he started introducing these concepts. But I've not read his full meta series, right? So it was Jimmy Olsen, it was Forever People, Mr. Miracle, New Gods. Uh, and then he later did the Superpowers miniseries. Um, but, you know, he created this whole world. And obviously there have been subsequent series, you know, Walt Simonson did an Orion series that ran for a couple of years. John Byrne did a fourth world series that also ran for a couple of years. I do remember the Genesis. I don't, do you remember this was a four issue? It was like one of DC's fifth week events in the nineties. It was Genesis and it was, you know, again, the new God's world colliding with the DC universe. Um, But, you know, I've, I've read very little of the pure dedicated new God's stories. Most, I mean, virtually all of my exposure has been, uh, in terms of these stories that that um, you know merge these worlds, right? That have the new gods interacting with the DC universe. I think I was really I was like, where did I first encounter any of these characters? And I'm almost positive. And doing the math and thinking back, I I think this is right. 
it was the the Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey miniseries from mm. 94 by Dan Jurgens, the three issue prestige format miniseries that gave us the origin of Doomsday. Um, but it brought Superman to Apocalypse. It gave him that Hunter Prey outfit with all the armor and everything. I have a very special place uh, for that. But I think that was the first time like I met these characters. And, you know, they've gotten a ton of play since. I mean, I, and I think the the animated series really went a long way towards solidifying, you know, my interest in these characters. And it was only a few years after Hunter Prey that we got these, these animated series episodes. So uh, I think it was a combination of that introduction. And then this show, really, that, uh, that, that made me a fan and, and made me appreciate the value of what they can bring to the DC universe and to Superman in particular. I hope, hope, hope all of what you said is on the DC Infinite app. That's what I'm going to say. Mm. I hope it's on there because I would love to go through and read a bunch of that as well. Because like the theme of every uh, mixtape, you know, has has done for me at least is it's inspired me to go back and read some of these comics, which I think is the beauty of this show and is the beauty of media that's based on comic books as its source material. You know, if it can get you interested enough to go back and read something you haven't read, or I shouldn't say go back to read something you haven't read before, then that is, that's the highest honor and highest praise you can give something is, wow, I have it. Now I want more. Yeah, no, for sure. And even beyond the comics and, you know, in the animated series, you know, thinking about the other, you know, tent poles in my Superman fandom, Smallville used a version of Darkseid in its final season. <laughs> it was not not quite the version we were accustomed to. It was portrayed more as the embodiment of evil, more of a cloud, uh, a cloud-based character, like we've seen in other iteration, other other uh, stories. <laughs> Looking at you, Galactus Cloud, Fantastic Four. Or Big shout out to them. Or Parallax in the Green Lantern movie. Going or, back to that. There you go. Talk about being on brand. Yeah. And, you know, most recently in Zack Snyder's Justice League. And, you know, look, I'll hop on my soapbox for like two, two seconds, just mm-hmm. two seconds. Bear with Go me ahead. for this. Even taking my fandom of the Snyderverse out of the equation for a second, I'll, I'll do that for argument's sake. It's baffling to me that the Warner's executives were like, oh, the audience wouldn't want Darkseid. And it's what's shocking, too, is that, you know, watching the Snyder cut, it's a fair amount of Darkseid. Like, that was one of the things we knew he was going to be in it, right? And he was in the trailer, and like we knew Darkseid was going to have a presence. But it was a larger presence than I expected. And I just remember watching it and being like, this is amazing. Like, why <laughs> why would they think <laughs> we would only want Steppenwolf and we wouldn't want to see Darkseid? It's baffling to me. Anyway, off my soapbox. What box. would you say? What would you say if I told you that I liked this version of Steppenwolf as little as we got of him in Superman the Animated Series more than what we got in the Justice League movie? Well, which version of the Justice League movie? <laughs> the original. The, not, not the Snyder Cut. Oh. Snyder Cut, I'm, I'm just off the hook. But the original presentation, I thought the presentation of Steppenwolf was awesome for as much as we got him. When he comes through, it's kind of almost like, oh, like a true hunter. And sending all those parademons, oh man, it's such a sense of dread and threat. I was like, this is awesome. Give me more of this, you know? Oh yeah. No, I mean the the version we got in the theatrical cut was was very lacking. I was uh, shocked at how much more I enjoyed the character in Zack Snyder's Justice League. The redesign, the in, yep. the deeper motivation, the, the all of it. Um, so you know, I'll I'll, I'll give you that the, the animated show was <laughs> better. Certainly than mm-hmm. the theatrical cut. But, you know, again, like, so we, you know, we've continued to see, you know, these new gods characters, uh, you know, and particularly in Superman stories or, you know, Justice League stories. So 
But again, going back to the, this animated series, I mean, I think this went really a long way towards demonstrating that, you know, that potential. So I, I again, these have long been really my favorite episodes of of the series. I if I leave legacy for the end, I mean, we'll, we'll be at the two hour mark before we talk about it. So we, we can kind of jump around here. And I, there was a big picture question that I wanted to ask you here. And that is regarding legacy, right? It was, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the backstory here, but it was not originally intended to be the series finale of the show. And rather it was meant to be a kickoff to this arc where Superman has to win back the public's trust. And the producers, you know, were, you know, had to redirect their efforts to Batman Beyond, and and this ended up being the end of the show. And the, one of the questions I wanted to pose to you, is it a fitting series finale? Now we've just rewatched basically the entire show. Do you feel like it is a fitting series finale to the show? Yes. Despite everything you just said, yes. And I'll tell you why. Because to quote one of the very first times you and I have ever recorded a podcast together. When we were talking about um, Daredevil Yellow, there's a line in there, right? Where Matt's dad says, you always leave a party when it's roaring. And we got three incredible seasons of the show. And the finale I thought was bittersweet and affecting and it made me feel and it made me think. And I don't think you get a better opportunity than achieving that. So on those merits alone, I think it was an absolute success. Right on. I think ultimately that's where I land. I think I'm somewhat of two minds where tonally, again, he's a very bittersweet ending. I mean, you know, Superman, and we got to talk about his rampage on Apocalypse because it is one of my favorite Superman moments ever. And I had, like I said, I had forgotten a lot of this and watching it. I was like, this is Superman at his most badass. Like I loved it, you know, but he's able to, uh, you know, again, come to his senses, regain his memory. He's no longer under the thrall of dark side. He defeats dark side, but he's lost the trust of the people. And, you know, we end on this, again, a very bittersweet, you know, uh, scene on the rooftop of the Daily Planet with Lois and Superman and they kiss and she tells him, you know, you win back their trust one person at a time. So there's this hint of hope, right? It's not a bleak ending. But finally get that kiss. Huh? We finally get that romance, too, between the two of them that we've been talking about has been kind of lacking up until that point. So kind of nice, actually, to end on that note in a way. Less yeah. is more. No, for sure. Yeah. So the only, the only sort of... Um, uh, you know, reluctance I have to say like, oh, it's such a great series finale is that again, tonally with the exception of Apocalypse Now with the death of Dan Turpin, you know, epi- you know, episodes and arcs like really didn't end on that sort of note. So it did feel a, like a little bit out of place in that sense, but I'm on board with it. And I, in and of itself, like I love the fact that it was a bittersweet ending because that is what happens sometimes. And it's not always a neat and tidy victory as Apocalypse Now taught us. So, uh, overall, yeah, overall, uh, I think it was a really cool ending. And look, of course, we would get many of these threads continued in Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. But, you know, if someone got Superman the Animated Series on Blu-ray for their birthday and they watched it, it's like, this is the, you know, this is the end of the story that you've been getting here. What I really did like as a series finale, and I do think it it works really well, you and I have talked a lot about the origin 
here you see the origin retold right through these fake memories that granny has implanted and it's superman leaving krypton but landing on apocalypse and getting trained and and learning to fly in his apocalypse garb instead of his farm garb uh and and all of that and so it was a really nice full circle moment you know (laughs) you know we get a retelling of the origin we get him coming to earth uh, and obviously Mm -hmm. it's all this twisted reflection but it really call to mind the very beginnings of the show. And I think any great series finale should do that, should kind of take you full circle and bring you back. And and this did that. Yeah. And I think that works. Uh, and that works really well. I agree completely. I agree completely. I, uh, I like that they really made sure that the viewers were really seeing this as not just like, oh no, Superman's evil now, but like an actual kind of dark reflection of what could be. And that Elseworlds world style, and I thought it was, uh, again, like we touched upon before, I thought it was so much more effective having it be what Superman believes to be his life versus what is his life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, going back to that whole Elseworlds thing, I'm going to argue against myself for, for one second here because I, I, in fairness, because I was thinking about like, well, what is the value of these true Elseworld stories where he's raised somewhere else? Like what, what do we really get out of that other than just a cool, like, oh, you get to see him as an apocalypse warrior. And I guess maybe in some part, in some respects, it comes down to the whole nature versus nurture. Like we know the nurture part. We know the role that the Kents play. So yes, we're removing the sure. Kents from the equation. But I guess then it sort of forces the issue of, well, what is his true nature? And is there that shred of heroism that even without the Kents nurturing it will still shine through and allow him to overcome whatever circumstances of his upbringing? So, you know, I think there there can be like, I don't want to again, I don't want to paint with a, a broad brush and, and be dismissive of this because I, I, I think and maybe that is the answer, at least for me, at least I think the next time I read the dark side or Red Sun or something like that, I think that's kind of what I'll have in mind. Uh, so maybe it does kind of come down to like that whole nature versus nurture bit. I don't know. Yeah, and that, that's a reoccurring theme for this show too, right? I mean, we saw kind of similar themes with Bizarro. We see similar themes throughout this entire show. And it's always a topic, as long as as long as long humans have been around, I think that's always going to be a philosophical topic worth studying. Are we who we are because we are inherently that? Or are we the summation of how we were raised in our experiences? Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. So... Like I said, that was one of the big picture questions I, I wanted to ask you. But uh, let's let's jump back to to tools of the trade. Um, I love. I really had a lot more fun with this intergang story than I thought I would. I mean, especially them armed with advanced weaponry, it gave them mm-hmm. a leg up against Superman and it challenged him in a different way. But more than anything, what I really appreciated, knowing where the story was going, you know, this is largely a Dan Turpin story. Yep. And, you know, Father's Day doesn't feature Turpin or Maggie Sawyer, so that's a little bit of an outlier. But, you know, from Tools of the Trade to the two-part Apocalypse Now, you know, you can really follow the arc to its sad conclusion of Dan Turpin and his relationship with Superman, a somewhat complicated relationship, right? Because, like, in Tools of the Trade, you know, uh, the, the, the reporters at the press conference are, like, giving him a hard time. Like, oh, aren't you going to just rely on Superman to clean up your mess for you? And he pushes back against that. And then, of course, he and Superman have to fight together against Mannheim and Intergang. And, and you know, there's that, that mutual respect that's born, you know, between the two of them. It's, it's, it's great. And it really 
adds a lot of weight, again, like to your point, right, about the, the long form storytelling. Apocalypse Now would have packed a punch no matter what, but it was more effective with the backstory we had. They make Dan Turpin, I think, one of the best characters in the entire series. One of the most likable, relatable characters in the entire series. And I would love to see another, whether it's another animated series or a movie in the future where we do get to see uh, Dan Turpin shine maybe in another form. Because I think that relationship, when we talk about Superman's supporting cast, usually we just go to Smallville, and rightfully so, and the Daily Planet. And that's, for a lot of interpretations, it. Right? I think having Dan Turpin add such, and I, you know, you've heard me talk about this, I think, in every mixtape, how I look at all of these characters as their critical lens and how they help us view Superman. And he provides that unique perspective of them wanting the same thing, but having very different tools to achieve it. And some of those tools inherently clash with each other. And that is such an interesting concept because even when you're pairing and we, we talked about all of the wonderful team ups that we've had, there's also such a sense of urgency when Dan Turpin is just quote unquote, you know, uh, just a regular human being, even though he's an extraordinary person, certainly there is that more element of danger when he's going into battle with Superman. Right. And I think that also not only highlights Dan Turpin's bravery and integrity, but I think it also helps Superman remember, maybe even a little now more further removed from Smallville, having it been a few years, that humanity is absolutely something that he's a part of and worth fighting for, because you're going to find no greater hero than Dan Turpin, and we'll get there, but with that ending, even on his gravestone, we see that there really was the biggest amount of respect that Superman could give somebody he gave to Dan Turpin. And that's such a beautiful, emotional, and also important moment because we see that Superman realizes truly that the powers aren't what make a hero. In the end, the world didn't really need a Superman, just a brave one. And, you know, he, he says that at the, at the, at the grave and it's, it's so powerful and I echo all of what you just said and I'll piggyback off of that. And I'm going to jump to apocalypse now because, you know, in the climactic sequence, Superman has been beaten. His costume yeah. is tattered. He's strung up in that contraption. He's on dark side's tank, dark side wheels into metropolis. Quite a visual. Yeah. It's you know, it really conjures a sense of horror and dread, you know, among the, mm -hmm. the citizens of Metropolis and us, the viewer, we've never seen Superman on the show like that. Like he's really lost. And it's truly Dan Turpin who galvanizes the crowd and Superman himself to fight back against Darkseid. And we talk a lot, right, about how Superman is this inspiration to people. And that's beautiful. And of course, that's a core tenant of the character but again piggybacking off of what you said in terms of like what motivates him this is a perfect example of humanity inspiring him and how important that is and here's something that I, as a kid i don't know that i fully registered this the way that i did now but when orion is giving his history lesson about the the new gods he he talks about how dark side psychically feeds off of the despair of people 
Mm-hmm. And I just kind of had that in my mind as I was watching that, that the climax of the episode and Superman's defeated most of the crowd. I don't think they really know what to do. If it's not for Dan Turpin in that moment, you know, talking back and fighting back. I don't know. I, I think it's fair to say that crowd and even Superman himself give into the despair that dark side feeds off of. He really turns the tide. It's, he, it's such a critical role that he plays. I, I, I'm with you. I love him on the show so much. And there's that, and we, we've heard this so many times before, whenever there is a, a superhero uh, or comic book adaptation, well, why wouldn't the other superheroes just fly in and help? Like, you know, why? where's, you know, where's Flash? Where's Green Lantern? Where's everybody else? And for this, I'll be honest with you, I'm happy to suspend my disbelief and I don't even care because I think having Dan Turpin being there and being the one who rallies everybody and ends up being kind of the one who saves the day, saves the world. Uh, it's so much more effective than having one of his super friends come in and save the day. And I just, I agree with that choice so, so much. And uh, again, talk about just emotional adult storytelling in what is, to be fair, a Saturday morning children's cartoon show. My goodness. What a, what a wonderful and moving surprise, huh? Yeah, you know, and just jumping back to tools of the trade for a second, you know, like I said, you see that mutual respect develop between Superman and Turpin. And, you know, when the the press shows up after Mannheim's been been chased off through the boom tube, uh, you know, they're asking him, like, oh, like, did Superman rescue you? And Superman himself speaks up on behalf of Turpin. He's like, no, like, I couldn't have done this without him. And it's true. Uh, they really did have him uh, against the ropes that. with that. Although there's, oh, man, one of my favorite visuals in tools of the trade is when they're in the warehouse and Superman is uh, in shadow and you just see his, you know, the silhouette and the and the heat vision. Oh. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's killer. Yeah. Killer. Also, those giant hands were extremely silly. If anybody out <laughs> there listening, if anybody out there listening has also played the video game Smash Brothers, all I could think of was the giant hand uh, the entire time. Anybody who has played that video game who's listening to this will know what I'm talking about. But um, I, again, I thought that's a minor nitpick, but yeah, I mean like giant hands, it's like they have all this far advanced technology and they decided giant hands were, <laughs> were the way to go. But again, it serves its purpose where it's interesting, right? Because you are providing street thugs with highly advanced tech and why, again, I poked a little fun, had fun with those giant hands. That idea in and of itself is terrifying, right? That's a terrifying concept that somebody would arm these violent street thugs with weapons that could destroy the city and put up a fight against Superman. Yeah. And that other device that, um, you know, emits those sonic waves, like it makes Superman's ears yeah. bleed. You know, it is it is pretty intense. So, and look, that has its basis in the comics, right? The new gods mm-hmm. supplying intergang with, uh, with this weaponry. And like I said, it really just allowed for this really cool escalation. You know, the intergang story was cool in and of itself, but then, like I said, it's opening up this larger world. Yes. And, um, you know, go. I mean, we'll, we could circle back to, to Father's Day, but I, again, really tracking Turpin's story. I love Turpin's role on the show, and not just Turpin, right? Turpin and Maggie Sawyer, right? They're really this, this duo. Um, and heroes in their own right, and they they serve a critical role. And I, I agree with you. And they've gotten plenty of play in the comics, especially in the Triangle era, and rightfully so. Because, yeah, to your point, you know, the Daily Planet cast, they're iconic, and they serve a specific role, right? But then yeah. I really feel like the SCU, I mean, it does help round out 
this world of Metropolis, you yeah. know, and, and sort of deepen the, you know, the, the cast and, you know, they're allies to Superman and they show the, you know, the capability of the average person as well, right? It's not just Superman having to save someone all the time, plenty of times where they rescue him. So a, a very valuable function that they serve. Now in Apocalypse Now, part one, Maggie gets injured very early on, right? And she's sidelined for the rest of the story. Her, did you notice the woman with her in the hospital? So I know that woman was there. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head who she is, though. So why don't you sit me under the learning tree? Who is it? So Maggie Sawyer famously is uh, a, is is a gay character from in the comics, and yes. so that that I that I surmised, yeah. So the woman with her is is Toby, her her partner, but the show you know doesn't spell that out for you, um, and that's something that as a kid I don't think I was clocking at all. But watching it now, but, you know, I was I that made me both happy and sad, right? I was happy that the character was at, and that aspect of the character was at least represented there, even though sure. they weren't able to, you know, be explicit and say like, this is the person she loves. And it's unfortunate to me that it was like, well, you know, again, I'm assuming that the producers were, had to work within, you know, uh, some constraints as far as that, but it's like, as if it would have been the worst thing in the world for a parent to have to explain <laughs> that there are lesbians in the world, you know? So it's yeah. unfortunate. Well, they could have just said, these, these two people love each other. That's all they needed to say, right? I can just leave it at that, you know? Yeah, so it's unfortunate to me that, you know, it, it, it couldn't be spelled out, but I'm glad that, but I'm glad that, you know, were this character introduced in an animated series today, I don't think that would be the case. So that's great. Right, right. You know, and I'm glad that the character was, um, was at least there and represented. And, you know, to their credit, assuming that there were these bounds that they sort of had to stay within, I think it works because, you know, if you don't want to read anything into it, you don't necessarily have to. But if, especially if you have the knowledge of the character from the comics, you know who this person is and why she's so important to her and that they're there for each other in that way. And so um, I, I, I'm glad that they at least got her in there. Yeah, and it's funny to say, considering it's our, our lifetime, not to age things, but the 1990s was a, a very different time even than right now. So I applaud them and give them credit because we don't know what the restrictions were behind the scenes from, you know, the heads of major companies and corporations and all the hoops that have to you have to jump through to get a show like this made. So just the fact that they had that in there, I appreciate it. So at least this team was like, hey, we need this representation at least in there, even if we need to leave it a little ambiguous like that representation needs to be in there and rightfully so it's the right thing to do. And uh, I applaud them for at least having that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, sadly Maggie is sidelined for a lot of this. So, but it really places the focus on, on Dan. Uh, so it's effective in, in that sense. And also, you know, it's, it's funny too. Um, the fact that Dan dies yeah. in and of itself is kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, yeah, again, this was a Saturday morning kids cartoon. He's the only major death in the entire series. Like I said, Bruno Mannheim clearly dies, but they don't, they're not explicit about that. <laughs> sure. Sure. It's also like, it's a villain. I hate to say that. Yeah. Like you should, all human life is worthy and precious. Don't get me wrong. But like, it's, it's different when you have a character that you've grown to love and respect. And uh, it, it's funny because it, is one of the earliest examples of a show I could think of. Uh, one of my other favorites, X-Men, the animated series, played with this a lot too, that Dead is Dead, right? I stole the Lost reference there. I know I thought you might appreciate that <laughs> as well, but Dead, Dead is Dead. And that in itself, as, as grim as this might sound, stick with me here, 
that's such an important lesson for kids as well too and that's going to sound very very grim but the fact that this person died a hero but you know they're gone and they're not coming back and they try to honor his memory is something unfortunately that all of us in one capacity or another is going to have to deal with and continue to deal with as long as we ourselves are alive and i applaud them for that choice because not only is it a great storytelling uh beat and gave us just a phenomenal story but what a lesson in and of its own right to be like hey like he died and it's really sad but we're going to honor his memory and that's such a important message for everybody uh, well said yeah i i agree with that um and you know, with, with like Maggie's injury early on, I feel like that in, in no small part kind of lulls you into a false sense of security because she's a major character and she's sidelined and it's sort of like, well, okay, like that's, yeah. that's, she just got hurt real bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's our sacrifice. You know, you don't know what's yeah. coming. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but, uh, Bruce, Tim and, and some of the other you know, writers or producers, they did a commentary track for apocalypse. Now I, I watched all the episodes that had commentary when I did my DVD watch years and years ago. I don't remember this, but I came across it on the DC Animated Universe wiki. So I'm going to take it as, as true. That apparently in that commentary, they talked about how their original intention was for the Kents to die in Apocalypse Now. But they were told that if that happened, they would have to bring them back. And they didn't want to do that. I mean, I guess to your point, right? They wanted to show the yep. stakes and that this is going to be yep. lasting. Yep. So they decided it was Turpin. That was shocking to me. Like, well, I guess what's your, what's your, cause I have many thoughts on this, but like what, what's your initial reaction to that? You and I have the benefits of having several hours of discussion on Superman's origin. So I both, I, I don't know. I know already that both you and I prefer the version of Superman where the Kents are alive, right? Because it gives us something to talk to. And that, that thought still carry out carries on here. I prefer that his parents are alive in Smallville. It gives him, another point of humanity to go home and talk to and kind of have these important moments, which I think are just so wonderful and such important storytelling. But also, I mean, yeah, no surprises here that these incredibly talented folks and this incredibly talented team was presented with that situation and they made the right choice because if the Kents had died and then they went, oh, surprise, they're back and it's okay. It just, and again, you know, comic books uh, often get uh, the the bad rap cliche of like, oh, well, everybody comes back. Everybody always, always comes back. It's so important that they made this death happen with Turpin and have him not come back. I really just, especially comparing in hindsight, it just, I, I really wouldn't have had the same impact by a long shot. You know, this, this show has a, a lasting consequence and very adult themes to it. And it shows kids that, you know, sometimes people don't come back and they really made the right choice here. Uh, no surprises there, obviously, but they made the right choice when presented with that situation. Yeah, and look, for argument's sake, I can even take, I can sort of take a step back and, and yes, like you, I mean, I love the Kents being alive and being that sounding board, but even taking that out of the equation, you know, I guess my question would be, how were they planning to get there? I, I guess yeah, that's I, my, because, you know, the way the story unfolds, like, you know, you narratively, it 
makes sense that it's Turpin, right? Like it almost feels inevitable at a certain point. You know, he's right, he's right. leading the resistance. Like he's been there since, you know, tools of the trade. He's been fighting back and, you know, he's got this temper. And, you know, when Maggie's first in the hospital, she makes Dan promise that he's not going to let his temper get the best of him. Love that moment. You know, again, knowing where it's going, it's it's heartbreaking. So, you know, Turpin's death fits so well. So I would be curious you know, would it have been that Mon Pa were visiting small, were visiting Metropolis, and they were among the crowd, and Darkseid just randomly happened to pick them, or would it have been, unfo- no you know, unfolded completely differently? I don't know. Right. But certainly, if it's undone, which again it would have had to have been, uh, then that definitely cheapens the moment. The fact that Turpin dies and stays dead is you know, a, a bold choice and an adult choice and a realistic one. And it, it gives this arc, but all the entire series such a weight. Like when Superman and Darkseid have that showdown in the series finale and he says, this is for Dan Turpin. That yes. carries so much wit. Like that's the thing that it's that we're now history. For him along. We're, we're cheering with him. We're like, yes, it's for Turpin. Get him. You know, it's, we're right there with them. We get it as longtime viewers and who've been on this ride. Like we care. We're invested. I also wonder too, again, going back to how they would have done this, even if the Kents came back, you you would have to assume it would be at least some number of episodes, right? And that would change the tenor of the character of Clark and the show. It would have to, you know, and, and as much well, as- I, w- I would assume they would put them in the Lazarus pit, right? And then Clark would have to fight evil mom and pa Kent, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, that'd be great. I'm kidding, of course. Kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I just mean like him dealing with their loss because that's the thing with Turpin. And I don't say this to minimize his importance to the show at all. But you know, again, with the exception of these two part episodes, you know, when there's clearly a to be continued and a direct continuation, you know, as we've talked about, like you can watch most of these, and we've been watching a lot of them out of order. and with Turpin, he's important enough that you buy Superman's rage and grief in Apocalypse Now, but he's not so central that you're expecting to see Superman grieving every episode. Yet, if it were Ma and Pa, you would. So it would just, it would have made for a very different run of subsequent episodes. And I'm curious to see what that would have looked like. But no, a, a thousand percent, they made the right call. It also makes sense, right? When you said, based on the story, it does almost seem inevitable. And I would almost wonder if people were watching they'd be like, oh, well, like his parents are going to come back like they have to. But it's more believable, a more believable and realistic choice to be like, yeah, Dan Turpin's gone. Can I tell you something? This is funny or funny to me. At the end of Tools of the Trade, we, we you know, we see Mannheim on Apocalypse, right? Like cowering, you know, near Darkseid. I think I sort of, conf- in my mind, like I conflated that ending at the time for Mannheim with, Turpin and in the back of my mind I was like was there some sort of twist that Turpin wasn't actually vaporized but rather transported to apocalypse and even now even though I knew that wasn't the case when I was watching this I'm like wait like is there is there another scene where <laughs> Turpin's alive and no and I'm glad that's not the case but I definitely had conflated Mannheim on apocalypse and thought that they had done something with Turpin oh, there's no post credit scenes here right no, there's no post where like he opens his eyes on apocalypse. Now he's dead as dead. Our our man is gone. And what's what's amazing, right? Like we know how the Obanga beams work, but in the context of the show, I think virtually every other time Darkseid uses it, it's as a teleporter. Yeah. Yes. 
So they had, you know, they had the mechanism to do something like that where everyone would have thought Dan were dead. And then it turns out, and again, I'm glad they didn't. I mean, they, this really showed that there were stakes um, and they had mm-hmm. outs that they could have taken and they didn't. So uh, I give them a lot of credit. Sadly, as you likely recall, and if you watched an HBO Max, I believe you saw this, right? The dedication to Jack Kirby on the screen. Yes. Yes, I did. Not on the Blu-ray. Really? And originally, I believe I remember reading articles about this, when they first put them up on HBO Max, that was missing. And then they, they fixed it. Um, oh, God, it's the right thing to do, yeah. Yeah, I was really disappointed. You know, I was watching that final scene at the, at the you know, with Dan's funeral, and I was expect. I mean, I remember that even as a kid, even without having the backstory of this legendary comics creator, but that they dedicated the episode to his memory. Uh, yeah, it's missing from the Blu-ray. That's a boner. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. And that's such an important emotional, it's like a double emotional whammy too. Like, you know, you're already kind of in that mindset and emotional and you're like, oh man, like the person who created so much of this is also gone. You know, it's it's a really nice, a nice honor and a nice moment. It even works thematically, I think with everything. Yeah. And who Dan Turpin is modeled after. There you go. Well, yeah, there you go. Right. Um, But I got to tell you, man, like, I don't know. I don't know if you had a similar experience. (laughs) This might sound stupid, but I think it's a testament to the power of these episodes that like, I knew <laughs> what was going to happen. <laughs> I knew it in my head and in my heart. I knew it. Yet there was like a split second when I was watching Apocalypse Now Part 2 when the reinforcements from uh, New Genesis arrive and they tell Darkseid that a move against Earth would be considered a breach of the treaty with New yep. Genesis. Yep. Darkseid packs up and everyone's cheering and you see this, you know, this whole fleet, you know, from New Genesis. And there was a split second where I was like, all right. And like it for a second. And I was like, oh, no, like I forgot for just a second. And it pa- like I teared up watching it. It packed such a punch. So I teared up when 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 Turpin when died in that last scene. It got me tearing up, too. So you're not alone in that. And it's the show. They did such a great job. Right. So Darkseid is in retreat and he turns and the music is awesome and the voice. We got to talk about Michael Ironside for a second. But, uh, but um, you know, and he turns to Superman and he's like, you know, victory comes with a price. And he vaporizes Dan Turpin with the Omega Beams. And the horror, like they really did a great job in the animation and, of course, in the vocal performances. But of capturing the horror that these people were experiencing and... It's the same, I think it's the same feeling as an audience member of like, I can't believe this is happening. And it's like- We the, just saw a murder. We just saw a murder happen. We just saw like a it's, murder. It's crazy. And it's like, you know, for the characters in the show, no one ever dies. <laughs> so yeah, like, right, right. Do you, rem- I mean, do you remember when you watched this as a kid the first time? Do you remember what your reaction was? I jumped. I jumped up in the air, like off the couch over like, where I think I was on the couch. I jumped up and I was like, no, no. I think I was yelling at the TV. Just be like, this can't be right. It, it seems unfathomable. But then, you know, they, they made an important choice and an important lesson that, you know, there's consequences and long lasting consequences that we go on to have to live with. And you have to wonder, you know, had, had Turpin maybe kept that. I mean, I don't know if those, those final words really seem to, you know, put, put, you know, you know, set dark side off. And you have to wonder if he had recalled the promise he had made to Maggie, maybe he would have watched his temper kind of watch that in that final moment there. Yeah. But, you know, Turpin's death by Omega beam, obviously, 
I mean, again, truly a pivotal moment in the show, certainly in this in this episode and this arc. But you know, if Batman can survive him, why can't Turpin? You know what I mean? Come on, he's just bouncing through time, man. That's the story. Listen, that's the story. Bouncing through time. Let me see Dan Turpin bouncing through time. Sign me up. I'm with that. That would actually be, that would be amazing. But you know what? I think all these years later, the thing that, because thinking back to when I watched it as a kid, that what stood out to me even more was Superman's rampage against the tank when he's just like, murderer! And yeah. you know, he can't stop. Yes. He can't get to dark side before he you know makes it through the boom tube. And he just smashes that tank to pieces and collapses and they cut to Lois and it just the look on her face as she's seeing Superman express this rage and grief. Uh, it was, it was because you never see him like that. So much pain, so much pain. And you know, it, it recalls not to uh, lead too far into the future, but one of my other favorite justice league moments where Superman talks about how he always has to hold back a little bit. Mm-hmm. This is really the first time I think we truly get the first incarnation of that. And that dawned on me even before we made the announcement or had the talk. Like looking forward, I was like, ah, this is kind of the first time that we really see this. Even though he doesn't actually verbalize that statement, it's, you know, he's so grief stricken that he's, and then with his following, uh, you know, battle on Apocalypse, he is just letting loose and letting a rip. And um, it really shows Superman's true power. But it also shows just the grief and sorrow that he's in. That we're all in the shock and horror and grief that we just we just saw. I mean, he yells "murderer," and that's exactly what happened. I mean, we got we had to watch Dark Dark Side murder somebody, like in front of everybody, and nobody could do anything to stop it. It's it's just it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And you know, Superman himself is put through quite the gauntlet leading up to this. Right between the, the you know the intergang weapons, uh, Steppenwolf, and of course, you know uh, solving this issue of this nuclear reactor meltdown. Right, because Darkseid's whole plot is you know melt down this nuclear reactor, it will cause a chain reaction, create these burn holes across Earth, a la Apocalypse. Sidebar, quick sidebar. Did you ever hear? And I don't know which. I, I was researching, of course. And I don't know which writer did it. I'm sure somebody will be able to chime in and tell me. But some writer posed the theory in one of these New God stories that the boom tubes actually shrunk people so that when they went to the planet, they were the same size as the New Gods. Like the New Gods were actually like larger than life. But when either like people from a different planet came through the boom tubes, they grew to their size. Or when the New Gods came through the boom tubes to Earth, they were like the same size as humans. I found that in my research. I don't know why somebody would go the length to explain something like that, which I think has no lasting consequence, but I thought that was interesting. And now every time, because I read that, I look at these boom tubes and I am stuck, Anthony. I'm stuck thinking, are they shrinking or are they grown? Like what's going on in there? So now everybody else has to wrestle with that too. I, I've never come across that. That's fascinating. I'll have to do some research too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me know what you, what you cook up. Cause I found that. And I was like, I'm going to bring this up because that is very strange, interesting, but very strange to me. Very. Yeah, for sure. Wait, there was, <laughs> there was one bit in apocalypse now that did make me laugh that I found, you know, uh, unintentionally silly. But so, you know, Orion shows up in part one, right? And he gives us this history lesson. I have to say, it was so elegant in its simplicity. It laid out all the, you know, the the core dynamics and the core characters, but it did it in like a minute at most. Like, it was if, very efficient. If you're going to have an exposition dump, which even though this is a great one, 
this is what this is. I think this is about as best a good job as you could do because it was short. It was concise. They gave us some cool visuals. It was accessible. And we understand where we're at. And, you know, Orion helps Superman in, in one of his battles. And um, and when he leaves to go back to New Genesis to report to High Father, he gives Superman this communicator. He's like, use this when, you know, when you need help and you will need help. Uh, unfortunately, I love, unfortunately I love that line, by the way. Yeah. And you will need help. That's great. Unfortunately, when Superman goes to use it in the next part, you know, it, the circuitry is fried. He's with Emil Hamilton at Star Labs and he realizes it, it won't work. <laughs> it just made me laugh because like he smashes it. And I just was like, maybe Hamilton could have fixed it. I mean, I know it's alien technology, but he has a background in this now after working on all your spaceship stuff. Yeah, I was going to say he worked on your ship. Like it went from broken <laughs> to now it's like really broken. <laughs> yeah, it was just you know? like, dude, I mean, you know, <laughs> I know he was frustrated, uh, but it just made me laugh. But I got to tell you, him, uh, you know, uh, you know, basically like burrowing through the earth, right? And, and irrigating the earth's core in order to avert this meltdown disaster. That's one of those sequences that I've always had like seared into my brain from a kid watching this, just him going up and down and through. And there's one shot in particular, like one of the most gorgeous shots in the whole thing when he shoots up from the water and he stops spinning for a second and you see the fire behind him and the way it's lit. It's so, it's gorgeous. I mean, the, we, the animation in the show continues to just be so beautiful and so striking and so unique. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the visuals they achieve is just are, are absolutely gorgeous. You know, we talk about the music a bunch too, but it really is a true team effort. There's not a single aspect, I think, that falters in that regard, whether it's the visuals, whether it's the acting, whether it's the writing, whether it's the music. And, you know, that's how you create something that's timeless, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and Going back to, you know, we've talked about this before, but the fact that Superman's power levels are not off the charts in this show, right? He is holding back, as we'll get to, but, uh, but like, he spent after averting the meltdown. You know, he, he, you know, lands on that cliff there, and he's out of breath, and he's on his knees, and that's, of course, when Darkseid makes his move, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's the last temptation of, of, of Kal-El of Krypton, right? Like, this offer to join Darkseid, and he's like, you know, I can't do that, um, and, of course, he's subjected to the Omega Beams, and it's so effective, right? Because you don't, you know, we cut away from him, and you don't see what happens to Superman until he's wheeled in, strapped up on that tank, and it's, it's, yep. it's so effective. I agree. It's a uh, less is more, you know, less is more kind of storytelling. We don't need to see him get beaten up. We understand intimately what happened, and the theater of the mind. It's yeah. worse if we can imagine kind of in our own uh, horror, in our own mindscape, what happened to Superman to put him in that position. And to put him in a tattered costume. Look, that the Superman guy over here. When that costume right. gets tattered, it's like, it's on. Like, they're, like this is serious yeah. business. And uh, remind, refresh my memory, but I don't think there have, were there any other instances in any of these episodes we watched where his costume is ripped? Yes, and I'll tell you when... <laughs> so happy you said this the dr fate episode baby oh because <laughs> <laughs> winner winner again winner winner for uh, dr fate yes yeah. magic yeah, the, the magical the ma yeah to be fair it is only kind of like one gash but then you know they yes. go and they do the magical you go you don't happen to be a tailor also they do that gag as well that's really a cheat because it is that just that one little tear but no not to this extent by a long shot this is the true as you said it's on tattered superman that we see 
Yeah, it's it's very evocative. Uh, I, you know, I said before. I know you mentioned Ed Asner as Granny Goodness. I mean, amazing. And you know, we don't get we don't get him until Legend. the the little girl lost, but so good. Uh, but Michael Ironside as Darkside, I love. And Smallville connection. You know, he played General Sam Lane in seasons four and ten of Smallville. So it was, you know, I remember. I do remember, obviously, when he came on to Smallville, and uh, I, I remember I did make that connection. It was it was cool to see him in that capacity. He has another special place for me in my childhood, too, believe it or not. And, you know, I like to kick it back to video games whenever I can, too. Michael Ironside is also the voice of Sam Fisher from the Splinter Cell series of video games, which I also played many, many years ago. So he was very busy and very formative in kind of those like late 90s to like mid 2000s era. So very formative person for uh, and pop culture for, I think, a lot of us this age. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. And, you know, one other bit about Apocalypse Now, Superman has a brief rematch with Calabac and he makes short work of him in in stark contrast to the Father's Day episode where they spent most of that episode trading blows. Um, I know we kind of skipped over that because, like I said, Turpin doesn't have a role in that episode. And I think really Tools of the Trade and Apocalypse Now, you really track, uh, you know, Dan Turpin. But the Father's Day thing was cool to see. Mon Pa in Metropolis and to meet Lois for the first time. Like that was really neat. Uh, you know, other than that, I mean, it's largely a slug fest, but we're deepening the, again, the new gods mythology here. Like now that here's another key player. Um, now we're spending more time on apocalypse. We're seeing, uh, the machinations of Desaad, who's, you know, really setting Calabac on this course, you know, sort of behind the back of dark side, pulling the strings. Yeah. Pulling the strings. So again, I think it's a good, uh, again, in that escalation, it's not the it's not the most compelling of these episodes that we watched, but it it had its moments. What, what was your take on a Father's Day? I'm so glad you asked me that. I have such an interesting relationship with this episode because when I first watched it, I was like, I don't think I like this episode. But then I watched it to its conclusion, and I really thought about it. And Calabac is not an enjoyable character. I think he is. And when I first was watching this, I was like, this is dumb. Why am I watching him just fight this grunt, essentially, who's like a really strong grunt, but is a grunt. But then I started thinking about things through, again, one of my bingo words I always use here on this show is, you know, through my critical lens. I appreciate this episode. I don't think it's the best of them, but I do appreciate it because this is an episode, Father's Day. On the surface level, it's Father's Day, sure. This is a story about fathers and sons. And we see an incredible relationship that's been well-established in many other mediums between Jonathan Kent and Clark Kent. And we talked about how in the finale of this show, we see the dark mirror kind of of Superman's journey, but we also see that flip and inverse of what happens with Calabac, who has this horrible relationship with his father. And when I stopped and I was watching and I thought about that, I was like, well, at the very least, I genuinely appreciate the theme that they're going for here because this story, this episode is about two sons trying to do right by their fathers in very different way. One is completely literal because he's trying to save him and he keeps getting put in the way. The other one is an abused, tormented, neglected son desperately trying to earn approval from his father. And when you put those up next to each other, I was like, well, at the very least, I got to give credit for this episode for that. 
I know I always bring it back to Smallville, but but, but building off of that, as you were saying that, it, it just made me think of the show. And, you know, Lionel Luther was initially intended to be just a character in the pilot, right? And they kept bringing him back and he became a series regular. And and it's like, you can't imagine the show without him because with him there, so right now, it really does become a story of these two young men and their fathers and the very different ways that they are being parented and, and what... Lex in particular longs for when he looks at Clark and the Kents and just to have that that love and acceptance and a genuine hug, you know, not one that's you know, that is all that nature nurture aspect as well too. That's such a, a central theme to Superman in general, I've come to learn from uh, our talks. Yeah. And so I think I, I probably had a similar reaction. Not my favorite, but when they're fighting and Calabac talks about how he's doing this for his father, that's the trigger that's right. for Superman. That's right. That's and at right. that moment, Calabac poses no threat for him anymore. It's like something yep. just clicks. And actually, I wanted to ask you because I, I felt like it could be one of two things. I mean, I think most likely it's Superman's Clark thinking of his father and how he needs to finish Calabac to get to his father. I, and I think that's probably the answer. But part of me was also just sort of like, I don't know, like, uh, I don't even know how to articulate this, but almost as if like you're doing this to impress your father like, it was almost as if, like, that's your motivation for this. Not that any motivation would have been, like, valid to Superman, but that seemed to... What was your take on that? Uh, I think both of those, actually, though both those interpretations don't have to be diametric opposites. I think those both can be true. I think that reminds him of the urgency of getting to his father, but also being like, are you kidding me? Yeah. All of this destruction to make your father notice you? And uh, also, we talk about Superman cutting loose in his true power, now that I think about it, we're talking, this might actually be the very first moment because he throws him a good few miles away. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> right? Yeah, phenomenal. When Superman decides that he's had enough, he has had enough. But I will say the only thing, well, actually two things that did make me laugh about this episode, again, not to nitpick, but as I'm watching it, I'm like, really? You know, like there are multiple instances where Superman knocks Calabac down or out and assumes that Calabac is finished. And Calabac keeps coming back. It's like at a certain point, it's like, dude, you got to like, I mean, and eventually he does, right? When he throws him out of the city, <laughs> but it's like, mm-hmm. you got to get there faster. Um, and, but again, they do. It was funny though. At a certain point when Calabac shows up and Superman's like, oh, you again? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and then the other thing was, you know, Pa Kent is pinned down, right? In the rubble of this restaurant. And I guess the argument against what I'm about to say is that like the roof was very likely about to cave in, right? No one, that's why no mm-hmm. one else was going in, but it was just like, and you see a firefighter there keeping the crowd back. Yeah. It's like, could no one else go in and try to get this guy out? I mean, I guess not. I mean, but. I, I mean, it's like, yeah, like there are first responders and emergency crews. You would think that that some kind of other plan would be, would be hatched up. But I, again, I understand for the sake of stakes while it has yes. to be, it has to be Clark, you know? Yeah. No, for sure. And it was, again, it was, they were brief, but it was cool to see Lois. Like Lois seemed very excited to meet the Kents and to have some fun at Clark's yeah, cute. expense. Very cute. And, you know, Martha talking to Superman, like, oh, be careful, you know, <laughs> cute. you know, some very cute, cute, moments. cute moments like that. Uh, but again, this episode, a little bit more of like a building block episode, you know, to, yes. to what's to come. But again, a really nice payoff when Superman has that real quick rematch with him in Apocalypse Now. It's like, you see like this guy poses no threat for him anymore. Um, and so that was a nice, a nice payoff there. Little girl lost. Little girl lost came immediately after apocalypse now, which was so very surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Usually there's, there's, and we've learned from these mixtapes, there's usually a lot of room to breathe 
in between these story arcs. But yeah. I guess my overall assessment is uh, this version of Supergirl is okay. And much mm-hmm. like Green Lantern, I think that there were restrictions that they were forced to work within. Um, sure. And we'll, we'll, we could talk about that, but I think overall, I don't know. I don't know that this works particularly well as a full on, as a Supergirl story, nor do I think it works particularly well as a new God story. It's like sort of an okay Supergirl story and an okay new God story. Like it works well enough. It's not bad. Um, no, I, it's not bad. I definitely don't think it's bad, but I guess like if you were looking at the arc of this mixtape, it's like up, 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 and then there's like a little dip with this one. <laughs> and then we get into yeah. legacy. Well, and then it's uh, again, you know, I'm repeating myself here on this show, but the heights that this show soars to—that even when an episode is just okay, it stands out—and I think that's what we have here. It's not bad; it's an okay episode, but it does not reach the same heights as the other New Gods episodes, or even I'd say a, a good amount of the other episodes that we've talked about. Do you like this version of Supergirl? Okay. It's okay. I feel like she's there because they wanted Supergirl there. And I think that's good and it's important. I think it's, you know, obviously I'm, I'm happy that character's there as opposed to not being there. I'll put it that way. So I am glad we have her, but this version of Supergirl, it was cool and interesting, if not maybe entirely necessary to see him go to that planet and also like incredibly just dark and macabre to see like the family dead in those tubes as well too when he's on the planet i was like my goodness they're really going for it here this is some very upsetting stuff you know like the whole family is dead oh one of them's alive like that's pretty dark stuff we're going over here so that was a very interesting take that i appreciated but they did some cool throwbacks it's it's interesting that she's you get that kind of flying over the farm and flying over Smallville moments that that he gets. You could tell that thematically with the time and they had allowed, they were trying to tie it together. Um, it was it's okay. I think it's perfectly perfectly fine. I think we get some good moments out of her that justify her being a part of the show. Certainly, you know, I and I think we see that in a lot of these episodes. I think I would be sad to not have some of those moments. Um, I think it's really cool to see her go after Clark at certain points, especially when she's brave and goes to Apocalypse to try to rescue him. I think that might be my favorite moment of hers, where it's like she's not Superman's little cousin. She's Supergirl. She's she's a hero on her own right and her own merit, and she's going to go – you know, save the day and be the hero. Sorry. And even her uh, ingenuity with the robot, as silly as this is going to sound, but with the robot Superman that she took up in the, 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 the finale, right? That she stepped in in the best way she knew how to kind of hold the line and keep things in some semblance of normalcy and order. She's the one that stepped up. So I think those to me are the highlights of that character throughout this show. I'll work backwards. I did. I I really did like her piloting the robots. Although, you know, Jeremy, I was thinking the only thing that would have made that better would have been if she had to pilot the Superman robot through some flying rings through the skies of Metropolis. Don't you think that would have just really enhanced the drama and the tension of, of the episode? Why, why do you hurt me? Why do you hurt me? My, my kryptonite is actually the Superman 64 cartridge in case anybody 
doesn't know yet. My goodness. Yeah. I get weak whenever I'm near that game. So I couldn't help but think about that. But I got to tell you, as far as visual gags, it was so funny in, in Legacy when Superman's missing and she's using these robots to cover for him. And yep. Luther causes a malfunction of one of them. And he's just, whereas she falls asleep, but then there's also, you know, Lex had, had something to do with it. Um, but the robot is just like decimating the city, like just flying through everything. Like it was so funny. Yes, it was a very funny gag. Very, very funny gag. But all right. So as far as the Supergirl of it all, it was funny to me. I'm, I'm with you. That opening sequence of in Little Girl Lost of Superman in his ship and suit, uh, you know, going to the remains of Krypton to explore. What was funny to me about that is, as you likely recall, from Superman Returns, the the you know the Brown and Routh movie, the whole setup to that was Superman was gone five years because Lex had tricked him into thinking that there was still life out there. So he's gone. Like that's the whole setup to the movie. Like he's been he left us here. It's just like a weekend. <laughs> it's like a weekend jaunt. It's a weekend journey for him. Quick weekend. Uh, but I you know what I didn't mind that setup because I loved. I thought it was such a cool choice to skip over her waking up and meeting him and everything and just cut to her soaring through the skies of Metro and yep. of Smallville. I yes. thought that was, that was really cool. Now, my problem with all of this is we had this 20 year period, right? From crisis on infinite earths through, uh, the second arc on Superman, Batman by Jeff Loeb and Michael Turner, right? Which introduced the post crisis Kara Zor-El to the DC universe, right? We had this 20 ish year period where, you know, Superman was the only survivor of Krypton. And that's not to say we didn't have a Supergirl, right? We ended up with that protoplasm, protoplasmic being who, you know, took on the identity of Supergirl and then merged with a dying human named Linda Danvers and became an Earthborn angel. And my frustration with all that, and I actually, I like the Matrix version of Supergirl and the Peter David series, it got into some really interesting ideas. So I'm not dismissing it out of hand, but it just kind of points to like, I feel like it did more harm than good, right? To have this edict that he there he can be the only one because if you committed to not having a Supergirl, fair enough. But it's like, if you have to bend over backwards to create one, you might as well just allow Supergirl to exist as, as we know her. Um, so again, this was in that nebulous period. You know, she's not his cousin here. Right. So they kind of split the difference. There was no way they were going to get into the earthborn angel piece of it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Right. You know, but they split the difference rather than being, you know, his cousin from Krypton. She lives on Krypton's sister planet, Argo. So Argo's not a city on Krypton, but it's its own planet. And they don't have any any relationship, which, you know, there's a lot more for me to sort of sort out with respect to my thoughts on Supergirl. And that will probably be a later episode or series down the line. I think I'll get there at some point, but having watched, I gave up during the final season, but having watched like most of the Supergirl TV series and the old Supergirl movie and, and, you know, reading a you know, fair number of super Supergirl comics, I feel like the character works best when there's that familial relation that they're, they're cousins, right? So, um, he now has this connection, but unlike Kal-El, she has memories of her life on Krypton so she can you know kind of share that with him and that opens up you know a new way for him to sort of uh 
you know, connect with his heritage, but also this flip of, you know, she was sent to earth to protect him. And now he's the one looking after her. Uh, you know, I think that adds an interesting dynamic. And then finally, the fact that, you know, she's assimilating to earth, but she has, you know, she has lived a whole life on Krypton. So it's not as easy as it was for Clark who grew up as a human. That's actually sure. not to get on a huge tangent, but that's where I actually think the Supergirl TV series faltered a little bit because they had her, you know, come to Earth as a teenager and then grow up. She spent all these, you know, we've she's been like a decade or more on Earth by the time we meet her on the show. So that aspect was diminished. Anyway, that's a long winded way of saying that I think there were some core aspects of the character and core dynamics that they just cut out. And I think some were by necessity, like she couldn't be his cousin, but. Sure. But at the same time, like, I don't know, you know, when she comes to Metropolis, she says, oh, I'm Clark's cousin, right? That's the cover story. So that's their way of working in the cousin thing. But they could have had a conversation where, you know, Clark says like, well, this was our sister planet. It's like we're cousins, you know, we're the only, like they could have, they could have gotten into that in some way. And I just felt like they kept it very superficial. It was just like, hey, you have to stay here on the farm. No, I want to get in on the action. And that was basically as deep as we got and i felt like there were some missed opportunities there or maybe we do an arc with brainiac who's like there is another maybe that whole thing with lobo and superman and the preserver maybe he releases superman he's like why are you releasing me he goes you're not the only one you're not special yeah anymore again this is me fantasy booking and monday morning quarterbacking here but yeah there's i think there's a lot of other interesting lanes we could have taken to get there that would have maybe strengthened their relationship out of the game yes yeah yeah at the same time um you know i enjoyed i enjoyed the characterization you know she is not a superman clone right she brings a different flavor to the show She's a, makes, you know, she and Jimmy make a great pair. You know, Jimmy, yes. as we've talked about, he doesn't have a lot to do on the show. He gets a couple of spotlights here and there, but like, it was really cool to see the two of them working together. Uh, and like you said, when she goes to apocalypse to rescue Superman, it's a, you know, a, a big moment for her. And then again, in legacy, I think you really get the payoff to her being here because that ad, she did add a lot. I thought narratively to, um, to legacy. So he literally takes a bullet, man. Yeah. It's heavy stuff. It really is. It's heavy. That's a very heavy moment as well, too. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. In in fairness, maybe Little Girl Lost is kind of a, along the lines of a Father's Day where where it's a little bit more of, you know, the, actually, you know, it's like, you know, we hit this high note with Apocalypse Now, and then now we have like a little bit of a, of a lull before we build back up. And, and yep. I think that's fair enough. And like I said, it introduces Granny and the Furies. And of course, they'll play a big role in Legacy. So it yep. served its role, its function. It did. It, it did. It moved us along. It got us Supergirl. It was it was perfectly okay. It was perfectly okay is how I would describe it. It was fine. Yeah. I think the, like, the only other thing that kind of just felt a little off about it was, you know, when Superman faces Darkseid, you don't like I don't know for me at least I didn't feel like Darkseid had just murdered his friend you know a yeah. few weeks ago or however much time we're you know we're assuming has passed here right like it just yeah, didn't have that tension that you would expect it to coming right after it no and then that's a fair point and I guess we could guess how much time has passed and how hasn't been passed and I, you could even argue that, that would be irrelevant right with that kind of impact that as soon as you see the murderer that that would kind of um enthrall you back to those base emotions so yeah i think it's a fair criticism 
Yeah. But anyway, uh, is there anything else that you want to say about, I guess, any of these other episodes before we, before we uh, circle back to Legacy? I think it's an uh, overall, I think it's a okay to incredibly strong road to get to legacy. So where, uh, where we end up and again, not to hammer the, the point home too hard. It's also because of this and all of these other moments why I think legacy is so effective because this is the Superman we've known this entire time. And that packs such a much more of an emotional punch and raises the stakes so, so much when you realize this is not an Elseworlds tale. This is our Superman. Yes. How's your uh, phone battery doing? Do we, do we need to pause and charge or are we all right to rock it through? We're all, we're all right for now. Let's keep rocking and rolling, man. All right. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. So legacy that, you know, the two part series finale, uh, you know, we see this, mysterious, you know, red and black clad figure, you know, subjugating an alien planet. Uh, we see the red eyes, not quite sure who it is, but we can guess. Yeah. And of course the helmet comes off and it's Superman and he's kneeling before Darkseid. It was, Oof. you know, and again, like it's easy now. We know, you know, we know everything. We know where the story is going, but like very powerful uh, opening. And I love the choice of, because I, and you know, it's, I, I feel like, we hit on this before in other episodes, but that the uh, the arcs of the episodes, the formulas, um, they got more creative as the series went on. And, you know, the examples that yeah. I, I always cite are, you know, like uh, Nighttime, like, you know, the Surprise Brainiac episode or, you know, Superman's oh. Pal, Surprise Metallo episode. You know, they didn't all fit the exact same pattern. And I feel like if this episode had been done in season one, it's like we would have started with Superman in space you know, going to that ship that looked like it was in distress. Like we would have seen it all unfold in, you know, in, in real time. But this was such a, an impactful way to kick it off because it's like, you don't, you know, you don't know how he got there. And just seeing that war on an alien world as well too, right? I think that really throws you off the scent, especially if you're going in cold, like we talked about, like maybe if you're watching it as it was airing originally, I think that was such an important thing to see the kind of terror and horror this version of Kal-El brings as the son of Darkseid to a, a complete planet and race of people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, totally. And, you know, like I said, what I, what I really loved about this was that again, that bittersweet echo of the series premiere. Again, you get to see the origin unfold in this twisted reflection. Uh, we see Superman mm -hmm. come to earth. He saves the day, but you know, he, he, he loses the trust and the respect of the people. And so it ends, again, on this very, uh, you know, doubtful note as far as what his relationship will be with them moving forward. I know I'm skipping to the end, but, I, you know, and maybe this is a little bit of a, going back to the Snyder verse for a second, but it felt very fitting that there would be that much distrust towards Superman after his actions leading an invasion force against earth because i feel like pro i feel like the first time i watched this i probably felt like um you know he's done so much for them and they've known him for so long you know how could they how could they turn their back on him so quickly even after what he's done but again i think my perspective has changed a lot and that's a function of getting older it's a function of what we've lived through in the real world over these past few yep. years it's a function of yep. the snyder verse which again i know i've said this a lot but it I think it's a very fair, if anything, a generous depiction of how the world would react to a being with Superman's power. So if anything, I feel like it was 
you know, wishful thinking previously on the show that he would be accepted <laughs> so quickly by so many people. Yeah. Like the fact that they turn on him the way they do felt very real to me. What about you? A natural, a natural and lasting consequence, just like what happened with Dan Turpin. And now we live in a world where people will be had be turned on and be banned and be ostracized for, and I'm not excusing anybody's behavior for anything, for anything that anybody says that's over the line or anything like that, but for far less than an invasion against their own planet that I don't think he fully ever earns their support and respect back. But I think that is an arc where Superman is also at his most interesting, right? Yeah. Because that's when you see that being good isn't just something you are. It's something you have to keep doing. And I think that is something, again, that core relatable tenant that we can all carry into our own lives where, yeah, people make mistakes. And guess what? Sometimes they make big ones. And quite frankly, sometimes they make unforgivable ones. And I would say that what Superman does here, even though it's not his fault, he's brainwashed to a lot of people and an argument can be made maybe even to himself yeah is completely unforgivable but that's when superman gets the time to shine right we have him as an expression we both very much enjoy against the ropes not physically but emotionally spiritually pretty much in every other sense of the word and it's always much more interesting when you have to be good when nobody cares appreciates or respect you for it as well too and that's when we get to see the person that clark is because the clark is not doing this for fame or the admiration or the support that's all nice and well and good he's doing it because it's the right thing to do i well well said i am totally on board with all of that and i i, I really I, I don't mean to keep coming back to it but i think that is why the Snyder movies have resonated with me and more so in these past couple of years that I've rewatched them and man of steel and Batman V Superman as well, where, you know, again, I do think it is a more realistic depiction of how the world would, would receive him. But also to your point, it's like, and not to diminish the traditional depiction of Superman who is, you know, who does have the trust and respect and love of the people, but it does mean more if he still does everything even though there is, and look, even, even, you know, in the series finale of Superman, the animated series, there are some who, who obviously are still, you know, with him. So there's, there's a split, but you know, the fact that, you know, there, uh, you know, there is this feeling toward him and that he's still going to try, it, it does, it does mean more like that really says a lot. It's easier, not easy, but easier to do what he does when everyone's on his side. But it speaks more to his character when he does it, even when they're not, when it would be much easier to just sort of be a reporter and, you know, not, you know, not uh, fulfill this responsibility. Uh, I'm going to steal a line from Batman that applies to this. I actually had this poster of Batman hanging on my classroom door uh, for many years, and it says, it's not who I am underneath, but it's my actions that define me. And we know that Clark is a good person. However, there was a period where his actions said very much otherwise. So the only way to remedy that is by repeatedly showing more good actions. And that is just such a tremendous arc for him to be on. 
you know, as you're saying that it, it sparked something where, you know, I'm, I'm probably reading more into it than, than was there. But at the same time, I think you can make an argument that, you know, maybe there were, when you look at how quickly people turned on him, and again, though, you, you can understand why in the context, but at the same time, maybe that trust was far more tenuous than we thought. Maybe Lex was not so alone in being wary of the alien right? Maybe there were a lot more who were, you know, kind of more aligned with that thinking and it didn't take much to set them up. So I don't, I think, and that's a really interesting component to all of this. You know, maybe it's not like, that's the thing. Maybe it's not so much like, wow, these people flipped. It's like, no, nah, maybe these people were closer than we thought all along. I mean, the, the xenophobia uh, and, you know, anti-sentiment towards immigrants in our country that was founded and built and continues to be strong by those people it's just such a, a, a persistent it's been a, a question as long as superman has been around right and i uh, and certainly has been an issue and i think this is great because you know and we've talked about this before as well too but it, it truly is the great uh american dream immigrant story right where he is this alien that comes to america and wants to do good and unfortunately now in 2022 a lot of people still have a problem with that and I'm not, you know, I think breaking any grounds or, or, or saying anything shocking, unfortunately, but that still is something that a lot of people feel. And unfortunately, I wish this was not the case. It does seem like a natural consequence where maybe you're right. Maybe everybody was so rah-rah about Superman. Maybe these people were saying these behind closed doors, right? Maybe they were saying them in, in meetings that they held somewhere quietly. And maybe this gave them the impetus to come out of their shells and just be loud about it. And that's something, unfortunately, we've also seen these past few years in this country uh, as well. I believe this is the second time you and I have found a moment and a theme in this show that's more relevant now, sadly, than it was then. Yeah, no, I, that's the thing. I, I definitely got more out of this episode now than I did before. And it, it made a lot more sense to me than it did before. And, I, you know, I guess one thing or two things that stood out to me, one was with this two-parter, it is a big dark side episode, but at the same time, it, I, I was surprised, I had forgotten that how much of this really is about uh, the more personal journey of Superman, you know, kind of coming back to himself and getting himself out of the situation. It's not so much the, and we do get a huge battle and it's epic and everything, but I guess I thought that the invasion part of it was a larger piece of the story, but it really is more, way more about this broken trust. You know, how quickly the military aligns themselves with Lex to use this kryptonite missile against Superman and Supergirl. They're about to inject Superman with the lethal kryptonite injection. Next, next words out of my mouth, Anthony. My goodness, the amount of near- and actual lethal uh, executions on this show, the Saturday morning cartoon show that we see, is staggering. Yeah, they were going to inject liquid kryptonite into Clark and Kara. Like, my goodness, that is very graphic and very disturbing. Yeah, it's, I mean, I know, between this and the late Mr. Kent, you really learn a lot about yeah. execution on the show. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, my goodness, lasting impacts, so maybe ones you don't want necessarily, but they're, they're there. And, uh, I'm sure we're going to get to this as well, too, but talking about also important messages, I think just as important, too, is the reaction towards the end of the episode of all the people on Apocalypse when Darkseid 
is beaten as well too. That really stayed with me also as something that I was like frustrated by, but also conceded as this is a completely plausible and realistic reaction that these people that he's abused and tortured and oppressed would still rally around him to save. And correct me if I'm wrong, Anthony, but he even says, I'm still their God. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I, I want to just real, real quick. I just want to say that one other thing that, that stood out to me, um, just in the context of our mixtapes, what's really cool about legacy in particular is that, you know, I mean, ultimately, you know, obviously it's part of the new God saga, but it could have been in any of the mixtapes. Cause it's like, everything really does come together. As far as going back to my question of, is it an effective series finale? It's like, you know, again, we get the flashback to him leaving Krypton. Uh, we, you know, we have, you know, our core cast really playing a key role. I mean, we talked about Lex and we can circle back to him. Lois rescues Superman, like after an entire series, right. Of the other way or like she goes above and beyond, breaks into that military base, gets him out, you know, helps restore his faith in himself at the end. Lois is the hero of, of this two parter for sure. Hands down, you know, but so a lot of a lot of what we've been talking about in all of these mixtapes like really comes together here. But so going back to what you were saying, um, it, that I guess I sort of put I know it seems like a smaller moment, right? When Superman defeats Darkseid and throws him to the people and tells them like he's yours, like do do what you will with him. And there's that brief moment where he and the audience are expecting them to cheer, right? To be happy that Darkseid's dead to kick him. And instead, they quickly pick him up and they're like, Master, are you all right? And, you know, again, I kind of put that in the same category as the decision to kill Turpin because it's it would have been so easy, right, to give Superman that victory in that moment. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. It's again, it's that 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 bittersweet quality, but also the realism. It's like he has Darkseid has so subjugated these people and crushed their will that Sadly, and right, and you see, I mean, my God, I mean, you see, how many instances do you see in the real world of of things like this? I mean, we, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But it's like yeah, that felt very true to life, uh, and I thought that was a very smart adult choice. That again, like I, I for kids watching, like I wonder what the what the take was on that, but because that's a big, that's a pretty adult theme, I guess, to tap into. And I hope for those kids who are watching it sparked conversations like we're having now you know because it's important I'll, I'll say this too anthony that theme and that scene reminded me of another character we've talked about a lot on these mixtapes do you want to take a wild guess who that theme reminded me of oh well we've talked about brainiac a lot we did but there's another character who despite being abused and subjugated by their oh, leader mercy. yeah mercy i know that's you're right man what a reoccurring theme in this show, right? I was like, wow, this really is one of the larger themes, I feel like, uh, you know, of, of being subjugated, but still being in love or, or feeling indebted to your oppressor. And that kind of made me, that kind of gave me that little nod to mercy that uh, that I, I kind of needed that connection because you and I both found such a new interest and investment kind of in that character in this, sh- uh, this run of these mixtapes as well. So I was like, wow, this really is kind of the same theme that we're seeing here as tragic as it is. Yeah, that is a gr- oh man. That's a great connection. Cause you know, mercy is present here. She doesn't have much to do sadly, but, uh, right. but I know that is your, your spot on, uh, with that. Uh, I want to talk about 
that final confrontation on Apocalypse. But first, you know, I just want to jump back to, you know, the imprisoned Superman um, neutralized by red sun lamps. And uh, one of my favorite moments <laughs> when Lex comes in to execute him, right? And Superman, like, you know, this guy's about to die, but like he still has this moment where he's like, now that you and I are on even footing, there's something I've always wanted to do. <laughs> Just clocks him. Yeah, he can't help himself. Uh, you know, I kind of love it to be honest with you. Like, it's because that seems like how he would react in that scene. Like, he can't, he cannot help himself to try to get one up on him personally uh, in, in that moment. Yeah, it was, and that felt like a very human moment. It was just like, yeah. you know what? <laughs> like everything that's happened. Uh, and I loved, you know, after Lois helps, uh, you know, Superman and, and Kara escape when you know Superman busts through the wall and he basks in the glow of the sun. Yes, you know, and you just see him restored in body, if not yet in spirit. Uh, but that was such a cool moment to, you know, to have that. And, you know, from there, right, he takes the wounded Kara to Star Labs for Emil Hamilton to to rescue, to, you know, uh, perform surgery. And we do get to your point, right, about the long form storytelling. There's this moment where Hamilton is reluctant to help because it'll be considered treason. And, it, you know, and, and and again, you know, not taking the easy way out here. I mean, Superman shows his anger. You know, he grabs Hamilton. Yes, you know, and it's like this was That's obviously the moment that made me. Uh, it's a moment that made me think, like, uh, how much of what Granny Goodness did to him is still in there. That was that scary moment for me, right, when he grabs uh, Professor Hamilton. Well, that and that's such a good question, right? Like, how much of that was what Granny put in him? How much of that was what was already there that got brought out? How much of that yeah, is just right. the frustration and the stress of what he's been through? But it's yeah. like that I, if, without that moment. I don't know if we get the Cadmus arc in Justice League Unlimited. I mean, right. right. If they want to tell that story, we'll get there anyway. But it's like, but you right, know, right. That really, and that was, a, and then we wouldn't, we wouldn't have the question, you know, yeah. investigating them in some of those wonderful moments. I just got to throw a shout out to the question real quick, but yes, no, right on. But, but yeah, like that. And that, you know, that I honestly, now that I'm, I'm talking about it, it was one of the sadder moments. Cause I mean, Hamilton was, you know, that's one of those friends and allies throughout the run of the show. <laughs> One of the oldest ones too, right? From the first few episodes, he's he's really right up in there as much as almost any other character. If there's one supporting character, I think that gets the limelight. I'd say even more than Maggie and Turpin. I think outside of the Daily Planet, it's it's Professor Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, again, I I was very high on on Legacy, and I still want to talk about the big climax, but um. Well, there was one choice that I was curious how you felt about, um, you know, when, when the Superman begins the invasion, we don't see it, you know, we, we sort of have this break in time and then Kara, right, is contacted by Martha when Kara's at the fortress and she's like, turn on the news, right? And a lot has already happened. I mean, it was an interesting choice. Did you think it worked or would it have been more effective to really see the, the true ferocity of, of the invasion to sort of like bring home why people felt the way that they did? I think it's, it's going to be one of those, and this is a cop-out answer, but it's a matter of opinion, right? I think thematically it fits the show because we already just talked about earlier, right, in Apocalypse Now, before Superman gets captured, they leave what happens to him, the theater of the mind. And I think they start with Legacy with that, quite frankly, that butchering of that alien planet. That's and now true. it's the theater of the mind where, like, okay, he did it to this planet 
we know what's going to happen to this planet. Um, again, that's maybe me giving them an out, but at least thematically and with, you know, still, even as a two-parter, they only get about 40 minutes of storytelling time, right? So I think it's also um, a clever way to kind of condense the time and save those precious seconds that they need as well. So I think it's completely fine because we've seen this happen, this kind of stylistic storytelling happen before, but we do get that just horrible uh, beginning of that alien planet just getting decimated. It's like we know what's going to happen. There are no surprises. You know what? I'll I'll take that's a good that's a good uh, rationale. I'll take that. Uh, you know, watching this, um, even that you know that bit aside, because I do agree with you. I think that works. You know, I can't help but think that this story would have been well served by being a three parter, like World's Finest. Sure, sure. And, I actually am surprised it wasn't. Yeah, I, I yeah for sure and. The if if there were another dynamic that I would have liked to see explored, um, you and I, right? We talked about all these episodes featuring other DCU team ups. Like it would have been interesting, uh, and, and not even so much. It's like, yeah, it would have been cool to have the spectacle of you know these other heroes trying to stop him, but even just to kind of like pay off like these what has been set up previously. Like he's had these interactions with all these other heroes. If even some of them had tried to intervene and he had stopped them, like I don't know it. And then obviously that would have lent itself to Justice League when they got to that point down the line. So that would have been Also, like, Steel lives in Metropolis. Like, where is he? Like, that's the other thing. At least everybody else is, like, outside of the city. I mean, it doesn't really matter for The Flash or actually anybody now that I really think about it. But, like, Steel is in Metropolis, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there was a little bit of a missed opportunity. And, you know, even, like, this is real minor, but even at the end when we get the talking heads of the citizens on the TV talking about, uh, you know, how they feel about Superman, like, where was Bibbo? Like that would have been a perfect yeah. moment for Bibbo, yeah. You know, or Maggie Sawyer. You know, like we we could have had a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, of that. But uh, again, uh, you know, uh, it's slight slight nitpick. Although I do think narratively, especially for the series finale, I do think that would have been fitting to kind of like see all of these faces again. Um, or I agree. you know, we, obviously we get these wonderful moments with Superman and Lois. Would have been interesting to see Clark talk to his parents. You know, again, I know like there just wasn't time for this, but. Had it been a three-parter, those were some of the things I would have loved to see. I agree. I think that'd be a fair compromise and a nice a full circle moment for all those other characters as well. We, so how much how are we doing on the time now on the on the battery? Are we all right? I got at least a half hour, 28 minutes left in me. All right. Let's make it happen. <laughs> I don't, well, look, famous last words. Like, oh, we won't need that. <laughs> we'll see where we end. This is you and, I, you and I were talking about here. <laughs> but... And look, I, I think I had forgot. I, this was a part that I really think I had forgotten. But Superman's rampage on Apocalypse was what a payoff! And it's like what was so cool about it was like, you know, it's the end of the series. But more than that, like you just like this guy's not going to lose. Like you just have this sense going in, like oh man, like he's he's on a path here, and uh, he's he's gonna. You know, he's going to wreak havoc in, you know, in retaliation for what's been done to him justifiably. Yep. 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 Absolutely. And we, we, again, we get to see him really cut loose and it's justified and warranted. As you said, it's not a misuse of his ultimate true power. It's these people, he's coming for you. He's bringing everything he's got and everybody's going to get what they have coming to them. You know, again, not unlike when he demolishes the tank, right, or, or other instances in, in other media. Like, I, you know, I don't want to paint this picture like, oh, I love angry Superman all the time. He should be slow to anger, but when he does get angry, watch out. Like, that's that's my Superman. Well, that's, his, that's his humanity. He's, he's 
very, very human that, that just like the rest of us too. Yeah. We, most of us, I think are that way, right? That's most people are, or at least I would hope are slow to anger, but you know, when you get there, it's an unpleasant thing. A very quick tangent, and I'll I'll keep this vague so to avoid spoilers, but on uh, the second episode of season two of Superman and Lois, there's this great moment where, again, I'll keep it vague, but uh, an enemy lays hands on Clark's son, Jordan, and Clark, you know, as Superman, like, pummels the guy, and he's like, don't you ever touch him, like, and it was, you know, you feel it, and but it, but it's justified, it was such a cool moment, so stuff like that, I always love when you get to see him cut loose like that, because again, so often he's he's not able to, uh, yeah. gotta talk for a second about the Furies, and uh, Lashina in particular, because, uh, you know, going back to part one, when Superman is brainwashed, you know, Darkseid sends Superman and the Furies off together to to celebrate, and there seems to be a heavy insinuation both in that moment and then later when Superman is confronting the Furies that it it got it got sexual for sure. Um, in the Saturday morning cartoon show, and for children, yes, I'd like to point out as well. My goodness, yeah. Also, like the ramifications, like are really not okay there. Also, too, right. Like that's a serious violation while he's brainwashed. Yes. So that is, is one piece of it. But also again, reading up on the, the trivia here. So there was a plan that obviously they, they did not uh, execute, but the original intention was on Batman beyond to introduce a character from apocalypse who turns out to be the love child of Superman and Lashina. Wow. That would have been super interesting. Yeah. So it wasn't just like, Oh, like maybe like, no, the intention was they, you know, they really went there. That would have been interesting. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I would have, I would have, I would have, it's a, it's a bold choice, but I would have been intrigued to see how that played out. Hey, I don't know. I'm torn. Cause like, it would have been interesting, but on the other hand, it's like you watch this and you know, it's like, you know, you can fill in, you can read between the lines, but there's enough sure, ambiguity sure. that if you don't want to think of that happening to Superman, you can be like, you know, you can sort of, uh, uh, you know, not, not fully go there. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah. but you know, and then we get this confrontation with dark side and what's crazy is, you know, here we are episode eight of our eight episode arc. This is the first time they actually have a fist fight. So I, I love that. I'm also a big pro wrestling fan. I don't know if you know that about me. Actually, <laughs> yes. a bunch of the episodes we've done, I've had a wrestling shirt on. Uh, one of the great tactics they do in pro wrestling, Anthony, is if there's a really, really hot feud before two people, you never let them touch until the main event or the pay-per-view. You always find a way to keep them this close, but you keep them apart for the big payoff. And that's great storytelling no matter where it is. And that's what I thought about with this. And I loved that we don't actually get to see the showdown until the very, very end. I agree. It worked. Well, and, and that's the thing. And going back to what we were saying before about the, you know, the, the, the new gods mythology generally, you can, it's like you almost, it's funny. I don't know. I've certainly for myself, I don't think I was even thinking that as I was watching them. You know, this time, maybe, because I was really looking at it critically because I knew right. we were going to discuss it. But, you know, certainly watching it the first time, I don't think I ever thought to myself, oh, they haven't, you know, uh, traded blows yet. Because he's fighting Calabac yeah. and there's the Omega Beams. Like, there's so much stuff going on and so many other characters he's engaging with physically. Um, you know, as far as Darkseid himself, I feel like Darkseid works as exceptionally well as a Superman villain. 
you know, look, for the obvious reasons, I mean, he is the ultimate threat, but he's someone who can engage Superman both physically, physically and yep. emotionally, intellectually, philosophically, mm-hmm. in a way that most of the other villains can't, with some exceptions. You know, Zod, Brainiac, you know, there are yep. there are instances where there's that mental and physical, but... I was thinking about this, and and this is not a knock on your beloved Brainiac, right? I'm with you on how how cool Brainiac is. Breaking myself right now, but go ahead. But it to me, even just in the context of this series alone, right? Brainiac wants to destroy the Earth and collect its knowledge, right? Darkseid wants to subjugate the will of its people and have them serve him as their as his slaves. That to me is scarier than just well, because oh, you have to. Uh, you have to, like we've been talking about, you have to live with those lasting consequences, right? Exactly. And and that's so, why it's scarier, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, this is, I mean, really, you know, what I say, oh, it's my favorite Superman villain. I mean, ultimately, I, the edge goes to Lex, but Darkseid is is really up there. And when you finally get to this, this battle between them and they're really going toe-to-toe and, you know, Superman says, for Dan Turpin, and he's like, who? Yikes. It's, uh, you know, I, I almost wonder, maybe this is me a bridge too far, but I almost wonder when in uh, Avengers, in the Avengers movie, when, when Scarlet Witch goes, you destroyed everything, destroyed my life, and Thanos just goes, I don't even know who you are. I wonder. I wonder if the writers had seen that. Maybe this is just a huge stretch. Had seen that scene, but I was like, wow, that's really, because that's essentially what we're getting here, right? That same kind of emotional impact, them talking about Vision here talking you know, decades earlier about Dan Turpin. So I was like, that's really interesting that that occurs in this show decades before it occurs in, you know, the blockbuster Avengers movies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's it. That's an interesting. I, I was not thinking about that. But yeah, I know you can't. Yeah. I mean, you can't help but wonder. I mean, like, I really feel like this show was very formative for, you know, you know for its viewers. And if those went on to then become you know, the people making these other shows and movies. Yeah, it's, it's possible. It is possible. Yeah, totally. And. I had I had really forgotten, I guess, the final uh, you know the final outcome here, where Darkseid goes to use the Omega beams and Superman blocks it with his hands and covers his face. Woof! Yes. Brutal. What was your Brutal. Rea- What was your reaction to seeing Darkseid after that? Uh, I was like, this is the first time we've seen Darkseid hurt. The first time we've seen him maimed and with a lasting injury. And that's when you were just like, oh, like these two might actually end up killing each other was one of the thoughts. And like having seen the show before and knowing again, like it's an animated show for its target audience. My initial gut reaction was these two are actually going to try to kill each other. And I guess that means they were doing a good job of the storytelling and setting the stakes because it is brutal. It's brutal. Brutal's a perfect word. Again, like I had forgotten. I mean, I I remembered from Justice League that, you know, his, you know, he has an altered appearance after uh, what Superman did, but I had forgotten just how decimated he looked in that immediate aftermath. It was really striking. I mean, I, I again, it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, like this is, I don't know, like I, I don't, maybe I'm like overly sensitive now as an adult, like thinking about what kids can handle. I don't know, but I was like, wow, like that's pretty, that's a pretty severe look for the character. Pretty intense, pretty intense stuff. And then, you know, we talk, obviously we talked about the, the apocalypse people's reaction to dark side, but the act of Superman throwing dark side to the people I don't know. What did you make of that? It was, on the one hand, you could look at it as like 
a supreme like justice act where he's like, no, like you, your fate should be decided by the people. Or you could look at it like, I don't want to kill. So I'm going to let what's going to happen to you just happen to you. And again, I think maybe both of those things, they don't necessarily have to be in opposition to each other. Uh, yeah, I agree. But I would, I, don't, I would lean towards the latter. I mean, I, it, again, it felt justified. It's not as if I felt like, oh, how could Superman do that? But at the same time, I did have that moment where I said, you know, this feels a bit beyond what Superman would typically do. And it's like, no, he's not, sorry, he's not snapping his neck a la Man of Steel. <laughs> Right, right. Of course. But what is he going to do? He's not. He, he's he's not going to. He's not going to go ahead and put him. You know, we're not going to see Darkseid as part of the Suicide Squad. You know, they said they're not going to lock him up and put him somewhere. So it's a difficult decision to be put in, right? It is. That is true. Um, but uh, but anyway, it's like you know. Of course, he doesn't go so far as to outright kill him. But he, I, I think it's clear from his words to the people and his react. You know, his surprise reaction when they when they don't that. He's expecting the people to finish Darkseid off. I mean, he is, for all intents and purposes, as far as he knows, throwing Darkseid to his death, uh, which, again, is a bit beyond where we've seen the character go before. But in the context yeah. of everything that, I mean, what, you know, what Darkseid did to Superman was in multiple ways, like the ultimate violation. I mean, he, he tampered with his mind. He reprogrammed him. He turned him into everything that, Superman is against, pimped him out to Lashina, clearly, um, and, you know, cost Superman the, you know, the one thing that, uh, you know, he'll spend however long it, it takes, you know, building back the people's trust. So, and not to mention the death of Turpin. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, again, it, it definitely felt justified, but I was also like, oh, I, you know, Superman would not have done this in episode 20. Yeah, that's true. It shows those lasting changes and effects that, that have happened. So, yeah, I agree, man. And that was legacy. And here we are at the end, huh? I don't want it to end, although we're at like two hours and 13 minutes. So I, think, I, think I know. My, my, I'm really hanging in here with the power, too, let me tell you. Uh, real, real quick, because we, I don't think we talked about it in any of these mixtapes. Did you did you have this, the any of the action figures from Superman the Animated Series? Because they did a bunch. I really... I really think I did, man. I distinctly remember having some Superman figures. I think I remember having some Lex figures as well, too. Um, they're long, long gone by now, unfortunately. But I definitely remember having that particular art style with the figures as well, too. Um, I had to have like a giant bin where I had them all, you know, all of my characters living together. And, you know, Marvel, DC, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mass Hysteria, everybody together, you know? Right on. I... I, I don't think I had a ton. The Kenner, Man of Steel, Total Justice, and JLA lines, that was those were like the majority of the toys that I played with as a kid, along with the Spider-Man animated series action figures. Like that that's and Power Rangers when I was even younger. Um I know I had at least some of the Superman ones. I definitely had him in the car. I remember they did him in his red uh like red convertible. Uh, yes. and I did have that, but yeah, I didn't have a ton, but I know they did a bunch and then they would go on to do even more. I just mentioned it because obviously you talk about a, a kid's cartoon, the toys are always <laughs> a big, a big factor often in determining whether yep. the show makes it or not, you know, how, how well the toys are selling. So they, I know they did a bunch Yeah, For me, it was just not, it was not that big of a thing. There were other action figures lines that, you know, I had more of and that I played with more. 
Is there anything else that you want to say about this mixtape or, or any of uh, the rest of the animated series? Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you to the entire community for giving me and what has been my own journey, difficult, hard, among the hardest I've ever been on for me and my family, moving across these states in a pandemic and all this uncertainty and strife. Thank you for giving me a place to talk about something wonderful, hopeful, insightful, and fun. So thank you, and I look forward to our conversations with everybody in the future. Well said. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate all of your time and enthusiasm and insight. I've enjoyed these conversations. I, I knew we would have fun, but I enjoyed them even more uh, than, than I was expecting to. I enjoyed rewatching the show more than I expected to. I'm sadder to be done with this than I thought I would be. <laughs> Same. Me too. Me too, buddy. Me too. And uh, real quick side note, I did an article uh, and, and you were very gracious in, in helping me uh, refine the list, but I did an article for 13th Dimension counting down uh, my slash our uh, top 13 uh, favorite episodes from Superman, the animated series. Um, by the time you're hearing this or watching this, I'm almost certain that the article will be out, uh, or if not, it will be out very shortly. But, uh, so make sure you go to 13thdimension.com, uh, to check out the article. I'm really proud of it. Uh, Jeremy, I thank you for, for your assistance with it. And uh, I'm curious if people agree with our selections or not, or the order of them. Uh, so <laughs> feel free to, to reach out and, you know, I know obviously I tag you on social media when I, when I post all these episodes, but um, if, if people want to follow you on Twitter or Instagram, uh, where, where should they do that? Sure. It's uh, J.Remy, J-A-Y-D-O-T-R-E-M-Y on Instagram and Twitter. Tag me, tweet me, DM me. Let's talk. You know, this is what we love to do. We love to talk in this community that we have here, not just with Digging for Kryptonite, but in the larger Superman podcast community has been wonderful. So I look forward to to talking to everybody and uh, keeping these awesome discussions alive. Well, thank you very much. Um, I know you have another move coming up down the line, exciting family changes, all sorts of stuff. So it, it might be a while before we hear you again, because I want to I want to give you some time and space to do everything <laughs> you need to. But yeah. I, I always look forward to, to when we're able to do this. And uh, certainly at a minimum, uh, we have the jail, the Justice League mixtapes coming uh, and that'll be a ton of fun. And so again, thank you, Jeremy. And thank you so much to the audience. I really appreciate you coming along for this ride, especially for these two hour shots that, that we've been doing. But hopefully they they don't feel like two hours. And by way of a final little segue here. One thing that I don't think this came up in any of our discussions, and re re remind me if I'm forgetting, but uh, this is, to my knowledge, the first time that Lois calls Clark Smallville is in Superman the wow. Animated Series. That's awesome. Wow. I didn't realize that. Again, if I'm mistaken, please, someone let me know. But, you know, this, of course, would carry over into into Smallville itself, um, into the comics. So it's, you know, it's become a thing. This is her nickname for him. And again, as far as I know, this is the first time it happened was on the show. And it's it's a cool little touch. I love it. I love that it's stuck around. And again, by way of segue, uh, <laughs> next week on the show, uh, V, Ken, Marion, and I will be doing uh, a deep dive into season one of Superman and Lois, which is, of course, set in Smallville. And then a week after that, uh, Zach Moore from the Always Hold On to Smallville podcast will join me and we'll discuss our Smallville wish lists. So we got a pair of uh, Smallville-esque discussions coming up, and, and that should be a lot of fun. So Can't wait to listen. Thank you, my friend. Uh, so thank you again to Jeremy. Thank you to the audience. Make sure you come back in one week. And until then, remember, it's about what you do, 
It's about action. One action I hope you will take is to consider joining my Patreon community. My exclusive Lois and Clark The New Adventures of Superman Rewatch podcast is available now at the $1 level. Many more rewards are available too, including a robust back catalog of bonus podcasts. All pledges come with a money-back guarantee. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.